Thursday, everyone. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products. You can visit the website, abotanicalcompany.com. When you order online, abotanicalcompany.com, use the code ColbyShow, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, for 15% off your online order. Again, really easy to order online, easy and safe pickup, artisanbotanicals.com, discount code ColbyShow, for 15% off your online order. Also, as uh, we are just a couple days away from Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve tomorrow, I want to remind you about the Artisan Holiday Drive going on right now. They are collecting coats, clothes, toys, blankets, non-perishable food items, or anything else Christmas-related at 2601 South Douglas Boulevard, Suite 170 in Midwest City. Again, just giving you an opportunity, if, if you have the means uh, this holiday season, to help others or you're looking for a way uh, to give back to those in need this holiday season, uh, the Artisan Holiday Drive, again, is collecting coats, clothes, toys, blankets, and non-perishable foods at 2601 South Douglas Boulevard, Suite 170 in Midwest City. All right, we have uh, we have a long episode today. Aaron Davis going to join me as he does every Wednesday. Uh, the start of the NBA season last night, the Thunder's season opener tonight against the Houston Rockets, and and as we stand right now, we don't know the availability the availability of uh, of James Harden. Who I guess there's some video. I haven't seen it yet, but there is video circulating on the internet of James Harden at a strip club. So the Rockets and the NBA right now are like reviewing this strip club video of James Harden trying to figure out if he has violated COVID protocols which would prevent him from playing in the uh in the Thunder Rockets game tonight. So uh more news as far as as the James Harden drama currently going on in Houston. And again, at, at this at this moment in time, uh that's that's where we are as far as the update goes so uh something to pay attention to throughout the day will james harden be available for the thunders matchup tonight um we will talk about the thunder obviously what the expectations are with this team and the way that they're managed in this season the starting lineup some of the pieces how are they going to be used uh and then you know the nba in general last night kevin durant and the nets looked outstanding in their uh in their season opener, Lakers-Clippers was a fun one uh, in the nightcap, and the NBA season is a full go. So, uh, yeah, Thunder, Rockets tonight, and then we got, you know, obviously the, the full slate of, of uh, games on Christmas Day, but it's it's just still stunning to me that the NBA season has already started and the Thunder's opening game is tonight against the Houston Rockets. Uh, so here we go. Aaron Davis is going to join me in just a second. Uh, we talk, like I said, a lot about the Thunder and the Rockets, the NBA in general, um, college football. And uh, I express to Aaron my gift opening reaction anxiety. Does anybody else suffer from this? I It's like, it's one of those weird things for me that I have, I have anxiety about opening gifts and my reaction when people are watching me. So... Uh, we'll talk about that as well. But uh, yeah, fun episode. We're going to talk a lot of sports. Going to be a lot of fun as we get ready for the holidays uh, coming up. In fact, tomorrow, Christmas Eve. So Aaron Davis joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast. Aaron Davis, what is going on today? We're two days away from Christmas. We're a day away from New Year's or Christmas Eve. Uh, and obviously, the NBA is already underway. Today is Thunder Game Day, in fact. Yeah, as you know, it should be. In a normal, you know, most years, it probably a good chance this can be thunder game day on december 23rd but uh i never game one after a uh like what 45 day off season yeah so 
little bizarre, kind of just rushed up, honestly. I'm still fully entrenched in, like, football and all this stuff. Like, normally, if, you know, the season starts, you know, at the middle to end of October, football's there, but, like, we're in the middle of it. Like, we're not really, like, at the point where it's just, like, we're at, we're at the end. Like, all yeah. the attention, like, all the energy, like, this is the end of the football season. You know, got some time. We still have some time to enjoy football. And, you know, if you want to watch a basketball game during the week on a Wednesday, go ahead. But now, I mean, it's football season is going to be over in a month and I'm going to be miserable again. Yeah, it's it's so bizarre because the basketball season just ended and and literally we went from like the NBA finals to the NBA draft like a week later to free agency. And I mean, it, it almost doesn't even feel like that had enough time to really sink in before preseason games started, all while like the college football championships are happening and the playoff is announced. And I mean, the playoffs announced there was a bowl game the next day. And like in the Sooners case, they're going to play what, 10 days after the announcement against Florida, where we usually have that entire month off that feels like an eternity in December. Yeah. Oklahoma state plays next Tuesday, a week from yesterday, I guess. Yeah. Six days from now. Oklahoma plays on the uh, they play on the first. They play. I think it's the thirtieth. I think it's a week from today. Yeah, yeah, the thirtieth. Yeah, and uh, I have the game right here. There's ESPN's confusing. It's seven. Yeah, seven central. But yeah, it's it's just it's wild how both sports are kind of like you have this this kickoff at the same time with the CFP and bowl season as the as the the playoff or the, the start of the NBA season while you don't even feel like there was enough time to even miss the NBA, I guess. Like, I made the joke, it kind of feels like we just had an intermission, and this is just a, a second half to a movie that we took a small break from instead of, like, a new movie, so to speak. The NBA, even, to, like, in a normal year, has gotten to the point where there's no time to miss it. Like, it, there's just too much going <laughs> on constantly throughout the yeah. year. Like, the NBA Finals ends, and then... The draft is like three weeks later, two weeks later. Then you go into free agency like immediately after that. And then you've got summer league. And then you get like three weeks. And then it's training camp. And then preseason and the regular season. Like there's like two and a half weeks altogether where the NBA is not just being shoved down your throat. So I don't even know if I, I don't know when the last time I missed the NBA was. I might have been excited. Uh, the year that the Thunder got Paul George and Carmelo Anthony, like I was excited for the season to start, but like it, it's there's never like a oh, yeah man is it is it here yet is it time yet like come on like I get that with football still because even in the NFL the off right. season after the draft just goes I mean they're completely out off the radar for the most part unless you watch the NFL Network or cover a specific team like you're not really going to talk about the NFL that much in June and July. Yeah, no, that's true. And and look, I think the fact that the NFL only plays once a week throughout their entire season, like you're talking about an NFL team, and, and college is obviously less than this, but an NFL team, 16 games, let's say, let's say a wild card team ultimately wins the Super Bowl, so you're adding four more in the postseason. You're talking about 20 total games where you only get one game a week even when they are in front of your face, and then you have a, a significantly longer break, it feels like. Whereas with the NBA, like you're talking about 82 games followed by whatever your postseason run looks like. Um, I, they, I think in football, they just don't play enough games to even get you to the point where you just feel like you've had enough anyway. So 
basketball, yeah. I think you, you just kind of you, you get so much. You're oversaturated with the product that that you get, and then there's the shorter break. Whereas you know it's the complete opposite with football. But I'm I'm tr- you know I, I've said this for years on the on the old show. Like I I don't get excited about basketball until the football season's over. It's just really hard for me to to really get into it. But I will say this: I always get excited for Christmas Day matchups because that's you know that's one of those like tradition type things. Not that I'm necessarily super excited about the NBA or like what those games mean in the grand scheme of things, but just because that's something that like we always have playing on the television while we're celebrating you know Christmas with the family. Uh, but other than that, like it doesn't really carry as much weight for me until after football season's over and you're starting to to kind of get a better picture of what the season looks like, who's good, who's not, uh, and all that good stuff. But, I, you know, last night, obviously, with a couple games was really interesting. Um, I, I will say this with this Thunder team tonight, like, I'm I'm probably, you mentioned the Paul George Carmelo Anthony year. I was, I was completely with you. Like, I was really excited to see what that was going to look like um, in, in game number one. And really, I think all season, uh, that was just an interesting team to, to watch and see how it was going to work out and what the chemistry was going to be like and if they were ever going to figure it out. Kind of the same thing for this team, only we don't really have any expectation for them being good. Like, I'm, I'm really curious to see what it looks like and how it's going to, you know, the chemistry and, and what, what strings are going to be pulled as far as players getting opportunities and all that. But, like, I don't have any expectation that this is a winning team at the same time. I think that you would be out of your damn mind if you thought this was a winning team. Like this is, we're in rebuild mode in Oklahoma City, and that's that's okay. But there's still, I mean, there's still plenty of reason to be excited. Like we, nobody expected the team last year to be as fun as they were, and this team is definitely not going to yeah. be as fun or as good. But they can still be fun. Like it's just perspective. Like if you, if you can take a step back and just acknowledge the fact that it's professional sports, and you're, it's not like, it's not college football. Like Oklahoma football for the most part, they might have a couple of down years, like, you know, like during the mid nineties, but they're almost always going to be good. Right. In professional sports, your team's going to suck ass for at some point. It's just <laughs> inevitable. Right. Like, the Lakers were there the just Yankees. a couple years ago, right? Exactly. For a decade. Yeah. For like a decade, the Lakers were terrible. The The Knicks have been terrible for 30 years. Like this, even if you're in a big market, like your team's going to suck eventually. Yeah. It's just the way it works. Like this. So, we're just at that point where the Thunder are going to suck for a few years and, uh, you know, got to get lucky on some draft picks and maybe it'll be good in a few years or maybe you trade those draft picks for some players. I don't know. There's a lot of possibilities to the Thunder, but you can still have fun with this Thunder team. I mean, you don't have other options in the area to watch. I mean, you can watch college basketball, I guess, if you want to watch Kate Cunningham, but still, professional sports-wise, what else are you going to do? So go enjoy watching Al Horford pass, get passes from uh, Shea for a couple games before they trade Al Horford in February. Yeah, yeah. If if they trade him, uh, you know that's the that's the big if. And and look, I would even throw George Hill in that category, right? Like probably a guy that if things work the way that they want them to work is like raises his stock, similar to the role players a year ago, guys like Dennis Schroeder and, and Danilo Gallinari, and trade deadline time. Like George Hill's a good piece. I'm not saying he's a starting caliber piece or anything like that, but George Hill's a good piece for a, a contender, right? Like, yeah, definitely. Who wouldn't want George Hill's a great like just role player to have if you're a contending team. Same thing for Al Horford. You know, there was a point Al Horford was an All Star in this league, but he's no longer on that level. 
But Al Horford would be a really good piece to a really good team. Just as a, you know, come in, give you a bunch of versatility and do a bunch of different things. And a a veteran guy that, uh, you know, knows what he's doing. And look, the great thing about the NBA is even if your team sucks, the NBA is at a point right now where the other team is probably going to have somebody interesting to watch. Yeah, that's true. Like... Pick it, like how many teams don't have one interesting player? The Knicks. I would say maybe like three or four. Yeah, the Knicks, the Magic, the Magic. Yeah. Uh, Although they have an All Star center. I mean, they gave Markel Fultz a bunch of money too yeah. yesterday. I mean, so. he's. I don't know that he's somebody I would circle. He's as. not exciting. Yeah, oh, but no. but I mean, Vucevic Definitely. is a really good player. Um, I like Aaron Gordon. I've been a big Aaron Gordon. Fan yeah, Aaron Gordon's years. a good player. So, I, he's probably I mean, on the. He's probably on my like underrated list, Aaron Gordon. Right. It's a, it's a player's league, so like yeah. there's plenty of reason to watch an NBA game, even if your team sucks. Yeah. I, the Knicks are the team for me. I guess I, I would have said the Hornets. Um, obviously, what LaMelo Ball did in the preseason, I think, probably gives him some spotlight as far as people, you know, look like circling his name as, as a spotlight guy to watch in a matchup. But I, the Hornets might be in that category as well. But I made, I made, a, I made this uh, joke the other day. It was a dumb joke, but... Uh, based on LaMelo's preseason highlights where he's like making these amazing Magic Johnson-esque passes and going like over 30 from the field. Yeah. Like I just imagine the Ball brothers go into the gym to like get some, like, re- get some practice in during the, uh, during the summer and like just spending the first two and a half hours only passing to each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it'd be like, like running uh, a two man weave uh, yeah. from baseline to baseline, yeah. like throwing pass behind the back passes and like, yeah. Like, like the freaking Harlem Globetrotters just going out there and like, ah, <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm passing fast. Oh, you're yeah. open, you're open, you're open, you're open. And then just never freaking shooting it because, my God, they're, I don't know, he's going to be interesting. Yeah. He's, he's definitely, uh, he could be fun. It could be a complete disaster or amazing, which, but both will be fun to watch. We'll do some Melo. NBA picks. We'll do MVP and Rookie of the Year and all that stuff. Um, but I, I think it's funny, you know, going back to when they drafted him, we talked about this the day of the draft. I, I, fair, just, you know, look behind the curtain. I never saw the guy play a game of basketball. Like, basically everything I ever saw of him was was just a highlight video. So, never saw any sort of game film to get an idea of, like, what he looked like over the course of a game as opposed to just, like, pulling out the, the spots where he's shooting and making shots and all that. So, I told you, I was always under the assumption that he was a good shooter. Or maybe because, like, he has a lot of range... I, I saw just a lot of like deep threes made and and I guess like this is where highlight videos are dangerous. I guess I always just was under the assumption that he was a pretty good shooter. And then like as as we're getting ready for the draft and I'm doing all my draft prep and reading all these these uh, scouting reports on these guys, like everybody that did a uh, Lamella ball scouting report had two things in common. He doesn't shoot the ball well and he doesn't play defense. And I'm like, <laughs> wait. So we're in the NBA now where everybody wants three and D guys. Everybody wants guys that can play defense and shoot from beyond the arc. And this guy's two biggest issues are that he doesn't play defense and doesn't shoot from beyond the arc. Um, so, I, I mean, immediately I'm just like, well, he's obviously limited in, in terms of what he can actually accomplish in the NBA. At the same time, like we, we also understand, Charles Barkley said this a long time ago on a TNT show, and it's, it's so true. Um, you know, one of the easiest things in the NBA to do is be a good player on a bad team. Like, because 
bottom line, somebody's got to take shots. And you're, you're going to have somebody that's averaging like 22 points on a bad team and is going to be considered better than they actually are, right? Like, again, somebody has to score for bad teams. Somebody has to accumulate statistics on bad teams. And, you know, whoever that is, they're going to be viewed probably better than like a good player on a good team that doesn't have as good stats across the board. So, um, I like I fully anticipate LaMelo Ball's stat line all season long is going to be really good. Yeah, I think like he definitely is like just just the form is like terrible. He's got the classic ball form, like it just looks terrible coming out of his hands. Um, I I think the positive side though to him that will probably help him out, and like you said, it's easy to be a good player on a bad team. Is that he could go two for twenty to start a game, and I don't think he cares. Like he's gonna take that next shot. Like he's yeah. I think he's too arrogant and too brash to ever uh, let a missed shot affect the way he's going to play basketball, which I don't know that Lonzo does the same thing or has that same mentality. But I, Lamelo, I mean, he scored 92 points in a high school game. I don't know what his yeah, stat that's line crazy. is. It's, it's high school basketball. I don't give a damn what his stat like. I don't care. But <laughs> he could have missed 40 shots that night. Who knows? But yeah. like he's at least arrogant enough that, a, you know, starting bad isn't going to affect him, I don't think. But I mean, we'll see uh, if NBA defense is it's weird because like how many guys are going to pull up from 35 feet, but can't shoot the ball. He's got to be the only one in the NBA. <laughs> like, how do you defend that? Aaron, who have we been watching in Oklahoma City for the last decade? OK, that's fair. <laughs> that- the most obvious answer to your question. That's fair. <laughs> Who's going to pull up from 35 feet that can't shoot? <laughs> That's fair. Okay, good point. Okay, so there, I, I, but, I blocked that out of my, my memory. Yes, but, but, but your point is true. There, there are basically like two of those guys that that are not bashful about pulling the trigger from 35 despite not being able to shoot the ball very well. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah good point. <laughs> By the way, before we get to the... the we're going to talk about the James Harden stuff. It's funny to me, though, that... Speaking of Russell Westbrook, like... This James Harden stuff has certainly made Russ come out looking considerably better in the aftermath of all of this. Yeah, you know what? Okay, something that really pisses me off and really drives me crazy is people on Twitter that like are like get on this like thing about the media saying Russell Westbrook is a bad teammate. As somebody that covered Russell Westbrook and was in the media that covered Russell Westbrook, nobody ever said he was a bad teammate. Everybody said he was he didn't make players around him better on the floor. Yeah. Did we ever talk about him not being liked in the locker room? Well, I think it was just the opposite, right? I think I mean anybody that was ever around the team and I, you know, I I didn't cover the team in person on a daily basis. I I went to games and uh, I was occasionally like maybe 20% of the time uh, it, we weren't on the beat or anything. But. Right, right. We weren't on the beat. So I wasn't there every day by any means. But, um, you know, being being maybe in the locker room for like 20% of the home games, like you could clearly see the players around him respected him and that they got along and there was camaraderie there. So, yeah, that I don't think that was ever. I mean, at least I, I don't know anybody that ever said like, the guys in the locker room don't like him. Now, if you wanted to say that maybe they didn't like him from a basketball standpoint because of different things, then then that makes sense. But yeah, I don't think right. being a bad teammate to me is is, you know, about personality 
and not getting it, along. And I always felt like Russ and all his teammates got along. Yeah, it, and the video, the thing that sparked this was the video that the Wizards posted of Russell at his first practice going around, joking around with the Wizards teammates and like being fun and being like cordial and like, you know, a good guy around his teammates. And like there were thousands of people in the comments talking about how the media jumped on this narrative that Russell is a ba- isn't liked by his teammates, but that's literally never been a narrative. The narrative has always been that he is tough to play with on the floor because of the way he plays basketball. Yeah. But off the floor, everybody loves him. Yeah. He's like, he's tough to deal with if you're the media. But like, I don't know any media that doesn't like him. I mean, I never, I never was a fan of him, but just because he was a pain in the ass. But like, as a personal, from a personal perspective, as a person, like he's a good dude. Mm-hmm. Just a pain yeah. in the ass to deal with if yeah. you're trying to get him to well, say I, something. I would say a, a bunch of media people think the same thing you do. Like, he's he's a pain in the ass from a business standpoint to have to deal with. But I, I think most people also kind of recognize that he and his teammates, I think, off the basketball floor were always pretty Ever, tight. I mean, or at least that's the opinion I always had. Other than KD. Like, I, well, and even then, I've I think that it. we all kind of thought they were close. Like, we didn't really... Yeah. I mean, I, I I didn't think they were best friends by any means, but I I never thought that there was an issue with the two guys on a on a personal level until you know obviously Katie left and then a lot of things came to light. But yeah, super weird, man. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Russell's looking good. I mean, I'll I'm interested to see if Bradley Bill can still be an All Star with Russell Westbrook. I mean eventually Russell's got to realize that he's not going to be the best player on a team anymore unless he goes to the Knicks. Like, even on the Wizards, he's not the best player on their team. Yeah, no, I think that's true. Although, you know, him playing with the ball, him being as ball-dominant as as he is, um, just, you know, it, it's... Like, ball-dominant players in today's NBA are basically like quarterbacks in the NFL now. Like, you're the guy that has the ball in your hands. You're going to be viewed in a different light than yeah. the guys that don't. Uh, so... I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what what that offense looks like over the course of eighty two games, and whether Russell Westbrook is is the you know the straw that stirs the drink, so to speak. Or because I, I I think you're right. I think Bradley Beal is the best player. He's the, he's the most efficient player for sure, and he's an all star caliber player. As as is Russell Westbrook when he wants to play the right way. Um, but again, you know, we talked about this also a few weeks ago. In the regular season, teams don't scheme you the same way they do in the playoffs, and we saw this in Houston with Russ as well this year. Um, I, Russell Westbrook, I think, is going to have a pretty good regular season. Like, the numbers are going to look good. Uh, teams aren't going to make it a point to take away consistently the things that uh, makes the game really difficult for him. And, you know, I think also the familiarity with Scott Brooks is going to help. Like, I think Russell Westbrook is going to have a pretty good season and a pretty good regular season. The problem is, once again, and, you know, this we, we kind of started talking about this with, like, Giannis and, and some other players. Once they get to the postseason and you start changing the way you play and you start actually like making it a point to scheme against the guy's strengths or weaknesses. That's where, you know, we kind of see a different player. Yeah. A lot more half court too. And yeah, I mean, I mean, we all know that Russell, you know, his game thrives going, going in transition, going basket to basket and, you know, playing up tempo in the playoffs, you slow it down and you got to run some sets in the offense and it just doesn't work as well. But I mean, just, at least back in the OKC days, just because the way he played, like he wanted to play ISO ball and attack the basket. It's just a lot of the other four guys right. standing around. It's tough to win playoff games like that. But 
Yeah, I mean, they're going to be a playoff team, and they, the East is terrible. Like, there's no way. If Bradley, Bill, and Russ stay healthy, the Wizards are going to be one of the eight best teams in the East. And they're doing the playoff thing, aren't they? Are they doing the play-in thing this year? Um, I don't I don't know if that's a thing or not. I hadn't I hadn't heard if that was I'll, I'll be honest, man. I feel like I've I, I miss more like small news because there's so much going on in the sports world than than I, I used to. But yeah, maybe I, I hadn't heard if that was going to be carried over yep. to this season or not. They are. They're doing the play in tournament May 18th through the 21st. They're going to have a play in tournament. I'm trying to see how many teams. The play-in tournament will be the 7 through 10 seeds. Okay. So we've reached a point in the NBA where 66% of the teams are making the playoffs. Yeah. Two-thirds out of the team. Wow. Like, it's ridiculous. I yeah. mean, it doesn't matter because the, it's going to be the same teams in the finals regardless. So why why not just shrink it at that point? I know you want more money and more playoff games, but the Wizards are getting in for sure. Yeah. They're at least getting into the playoff play-in tournament. Here's my thing. I'm fine with eight on each side. Let's let's start with a three game series in the first round because again those matchups are so lopsided. Like, do we really need to go five? And it also I think gives the the winning teams, the better teams, a little more urgency to to get going in the first round. Uh, so make the first round a three game series, second round a five game series, and then the Western the the conference finals and the NBA finals seven game series. Yeah, the if it's a three game series, guess who's not going to be uh, out with a sore hamstring. Yeah. Why Leonard's not getting, right. he's not, they're not staggering his minutes yeah. or not staggering. is not the right way to worry, but he's not sitting out a game to rest in the first round because they know the Clippers are going to roll through the sun. Yeah. And look, if you want to stagger like, it in a way where everybody has two days between every game too, like instead of playing every other day, like in a three game series, like get, you know, stagger it to where everybody, like you can still stretch it out long enough to give everybody plenty of rest so that guys can play hard for 48 minutes of, of a three-game series. Like, I don't have any issue with that, but it just, like, how often do we watch the first round and think that there's any urgency? I mean, every once in a while you get, like, this 4-5 matchup that's pretty good. Um, Thunder Rockets, for example, last year. But, like, most of the time, first-round series aren't that entertaining. Yeah, like, even when they were back at five games, in the NBA, like the lower seeds still never won. Even when they only had to win three games. I mean, how many eight seeds have won have won a series in the NBA playoffs? Like two? two I, I think, know the Mavs did it or the Warriors did it against the Mavs back in the mid two thousands. And then uh, and maybe I, the Nuggets with Dikembe Mutombo did it against the I think Seattle right. Supersonics. So two. RIP. Talk about two ever. Yeah, go three games. Like it's at least just speed the process up to where we could get to matchups that are like actually interesting and a toss-up i think then actually add one more to that i think the knicks in might have been the lockout year i don't know it was somewhere in the late 90s i think the knicks were an eight seed and went to the nba finals is that when they played the rockets no no no, or no the spurs. i think it was yeah i think it was spurs? when they played the spurs was that the lockout year yeah no, it was yeah okay it was the uh strike short shortened season um, but that was a five game series again than the first round. Obviously they would have won a seven game series in the, uh, in yeah. the next rounds, but yeah. Crazy. So, okay, let's talk about this thunder team. Uh, and we'll, we'll circle to, to football to close this out. We're kind of doing it backwards than, than we planned, but, um, I guess what, like, what, what are you looking for with OKC? Have you, uh, uh, I guess let's start here. Actually. 
Have you watched any of the preseason games? No. Okay. No, okay. I was going to, because I haven't either. So if, if, the, if you had taken anything away from those matchups, then, then I was going to let that be the jumping off point. Um, okay. So here, here's what I do know. I guess the last preseason game, the starting five was George Hill, SGA, Dort, Baisley, Horford which is kind of what I thought would be the case as far as the starting lineup goes. The game before that, the starting lineup was SGA, Dort, Justin Jackson, Darius Baisley, and Al Horford. Um, I assume the starting lineup tonight is going to be George Hill with that same four. What do you think? I think that George, I th- I think that George probably comes off the bench. I think the... I, I think the best way to use him is probably using him as the guy with the second unit to run the show. Yeah. Um, that's really, that's I mean, what who, I would do as well. I've just. Right. I mean, outside of Shea, who, what other like point guard do they have? They can run the offense and it's gotta be like, they're going to have to run an offense with this team. Like they can't just play in transition the whole time. Like they're just, they need to be better. Like they, they need to improve and you're not, I don't, I just don't feel like you're going to improve by just, playing super up tempo like that might be the way to play with young guys but i don't know if you're not if you want to improve you need to slow things down a little bit and i think that having george hill come off the bench is probably the best way to do it I, I don't actually i don't mind that 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 starting lineup like i think if you've got shay and al horford in there you've got your two best players starting yeah uh yeah throw dort in there kind of see if he could carry that way from the playoffs last year and and continue to trend up basically uh, I mean, I, I don't see any reason why if with this team, why would you start like Mike Muscala or Justin Jackson yeah. over Darius Baisley? Like give Baisley as many minutes as you could possibly give him. Yeah. And then uh, who was the third? Who was the last guy? Who am I missing here? Josh uh, Paul? No. Baisley. Okay, so it was Shea, Dort, Baisley, Horford. Who's the fourth? Who's the fifth? Sorry. The fifth in the last game was Hill. The game before that, it was Justin Jackson. Yeah, I mean, I still think that point coming, having George Hill be your sixth guy and running the second unit is probably, or being the the point guard if Shea's out. I, I just don't see the benefit in playing Shea and George Hill a ton of minutes together. So I'd probably go uh, Jackson in there at the three. We agree. Um, mostly because George Hill is a point guard, and and not that he can't play off the ball, but I mean, this is a season where. I mean, are you better with George Hill as your point guard? Probably, just because of the experience factor. But at some point, you've got to let SGA become that guy, and you've got to give him those keys. I mean, obviously, you've got to give him the keys to the car and let him, let him. you know, it's his show now. So, I, I'm with you. I think that this is the SGA show now. You've got to let him learn, at, you know, by doing it and being the guy and... So I think he's the point guard, and then I think if, if you go from that point, it makes more sense that, you know, Dort is obviously your defensive stopper. Justin Jackson is a long, athletic, versatile shooter, so you have that guy that's going to stretch the floor a little bit. Baisley, obviously, is just a, a freak that does a lot of different things, and then and then Horford's your five. And then, to your point about George Hill, you have a veteran coming off the bench, basically in the Dennis Schroeder role, where not only can he create his own offense with the twos, but he's a veteran guy for all those inexperienced guys that are coming off the bench that can kind of calm uh, everybody down if things start to go the wrong way. So to me, that makes the most sense. You know, I, I, my biggest thing this season is I don't want to see, especially with guys like George Hill 
or Al Horford, for example, I don't want to see the Thunder like get in this situation where those guys, because they're the best players, and, and certainly nobody's making any arguments that those guys aren't better than basically everybody on the roster, or even like Trevor Ariza, for that matter, if, if he becomes part of this thing. Uh, I don't want to see those guys basically preventing the Thunder's young players from, you know, the the development situation. Like, they they went into to teardown mode. They went into rebuild mode this offseason. So go through the rebuild mode and let these guys develop and see what you actually have. Uh, let me, okay, so I feel stupid for asking this, but I, I'm, like, having a really difficult time finding anything because he's not – He's not on the basketball reference roster page. Wikipedia says he's not on the Thunder anymore, but like other sources are saying he's on the Thunder. What, where's Andre Robertson? Like what? I missed something, obviously. Or oh, I'm forgetting, or like. Uh, I thought. I thought his contract had just run out. No, it should have. Right, last year was yeah. his last year. I, I'm, deal. I'm I'm like ninety five percent sure that last year was his the final year of his deal. It was. So they just didn't okay. resign him. And yeah. he's just, okay. Yeah. And these websites, like, even basketball reference, like, said he was a Thunder, but he's not on the Thunder page. CBS has him on the Thunder. Like, okay, then, like, some something's getting messed up and needs to be updated. That's what I thought. Like, I just, I last year was definitely the last year of his deal. Okay. Well, that solves that. It's just, <laughs> they just let his contract expire yeah. and he just, yeah. he just, Th- dissolved into dust like Thanos snapped his finger. It's it's like an office space where they're like, we fixed the glitch. So you're saying I should fire him? No, no, no. We fixed the glitch. It'll take care of itself. <laughs> we'll just stop basement. receiving a check. <laughs> He's in the basement of the Chesapeake waiting for uh, <laughs> yeah. waiting for his stapler. <laughs> oh, man. Andre Robertson. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's all that. Okay, yeah. Uh, but, you know, the Trevor Reza thing, like I was saying, we'll, I, I don't know if he's going to end up being a part of this thing or not. Gonna... He's out for, what is it? I think I read he's out for personal reasons, but he's also yep. injured at the same time or something. Uh, like... Basically, let's read between the lines, which you don't need glasses to read between the lines. Right. He doesn't want to play for the Thunder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he I wants agree. to win I, a championship. I think so. that's the case as well. Um, it, it just, it, sometimes it's just a situation of timing as far as these things being able to happen. So, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's a deal in place for later and, and they just can't pull the trigger right now. I will, we'll see how that works out. I don't know if we'll ever see Ariza here in a thunder uniform for any portion of the season, but I, I'm with you. I, my expectation is at some point he's, uh, he's moved, but yeah, again, I think the biggest thing with this season is player development. I mean, you've got a lot of young players. You've got a lot of inexperienced players. You brought in new players this offseason. And then again, when you consider SGA is the guy you're building around, at least as it stands today, that could obviously change if you get the number one pick in next year's draft and, and you you know, bring in the guy that is is the piece that you're building around. But as of right now, that, that piece is Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And you know, to the George Hill point, like I don't want to see Shea play the same position that he played last year where he's the two and he's playing off the ball for, you know, and Chris Paul's the one. Like, he had that year to learn under one of the greatest point guards of all time, and you're not going to be good anyway this year. So it's time for SGA to, you know, let's see what he learned. Let's see how he takes uh, to that role. So, I you know, again, in late-game situations, we may say George Hill on the floor with SGA at the same time. 
But over the course of games, I don't want to see a bunch of George Hill and SGA together, especially if George Hill is the guy that is running the offense and the guy that is ball dominant. Well, I mean, you said it a minute ago. Like, the guy that has the ball in his hand every time they walk up the floor is always going to be the most valuable guy. He's always going to be viewed as the most valuable do you really want to put yourself in a situation where you're thinking about giving a max contract to a guy that plays off the ball that's not like a right Anthony Davis type? Right. Like who's giving a like how many teams are going to give a max deal to an off the ball guard? You don't want to do that. You you need him to be ball dominant. You need him to run the offense because that's just I mean it's the way the NBA is today. So and you got to yeah, find out I what agree. you have you gotta, with him, right? Like it's a, it's a big decision to give a guy a max deal because the teams that give the wrong guys max deals prevent themselves from getting back into contention. Like, that's a, that's a big issue. So, you know, even beyond just what we're talking about, like, you have to see what you have with SGA. And at some point, you know, it, it's it's time to let him go prove that he's either that guy or he's not. You know, I, I like him. I think he's a really good player. And I think he's going to be a really, you know, I, I'm really curious to see what the development looks like this year. But, you know, just because you have a George Hill, like, I don't know. I, I just don't want to see them put SGA in that situation. He needs to be the guy on the ball. He needs to be the piece. He needs to be the piece that this thing completely revolves around, even if he's having struggles throughout the year. Like, if he's not playing well, I don't think you just move to George Hill for the sake of trying to be a little bit better within that game. you got to let him work through those issues because, you know, again, this is this is his team now, and you got to let him either prove that he is or isn't that guy going forward. Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely, because he's, he's got, uh, I want to say, what, two years left on his deal before he runs out? Like, I think he's a restricted free agent next year. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, and, I mean, they're going to have to make some decision on him pretty soon. Yeah, yeah, he's a restricted free agent after this season. There you go. So, they're going to have, or actually, hang on, hang on, I'm stupid. Uh, they, have a t- they have a team option. I believe. Yeah, a club. They have a team option next year. Okay. And he's a restricted free agent in 2022. So two more years because they're picking up his $5.5 million option next year for sure. Okay. Unless he's amazing this year and they want to sign him long-term before, you know, his value just goes up even more. But yeah, yeah. I mean, you've, you've got two years basically to make a decision on this guy and you need to f- start figuring it out. And much like LaMelo Ball, he could easily be the best player on a bad team. He should be. Yeah, yeah, there's no reason he shouldn't be the best player on the on the Thunder this year. Yeah, unless they play him off the ball, and which, but you know, like, and I'm I'm not disputing that. Like, are is the lineup with George Hill playing the point guard because of his experience, and like he he shoots, you know, he's a he's a three point threat. Like George Hill's a good player. He's not an all star by any means, and he's not a, a guy that you're building around certainly, but he's a good player that knows how to play the game. And, you know, I, I think SGA has a much higher ceiling, but I think the inexperience probably would lean toward, if you had one game for the Thunder where you had to win, like George Hill's probably the guy that gets the ball in his hands, right? But that's not the situation. We're going through a season where it's not a must win, and this is about player development. This is about seeing what you really have. And that's that. That's my issue, I think, with... Uh, what I want to see as far as SGA is concerned and, and just the way that Dagnalt uh, just just kind of operates with those guys. Yeah, speaking of Dagnalt, just uh, I got to throw a jab out here. Uh, basketball reference. The reference websites are great, like great, great sources of like 
reference and information for these sports teams. Uh, to show you how little the rest of the world cares about this Thunder team, uh, on the 2020-2021 Oklahoma City Thunder roster and stats page, uh, they have the head coaches Billy Donovan still. Oh, an NBA reference? Yeah. Oh. And they're always like, they're always up on their stuff. They That is just embarrassing by the wow. reference uh, website. Which makes me wonder. I wonder who their head coach of the Chicago Bulls is. I wonder if it's still uh, whoever the hell question. it was last year. 2020-2021 Chicago Bulls. Hey, Coach Billy Donovan. So Billy Donovan is currently coaching okay. two teams. Two in the teams NBA. in the NBA. Uh, and if you combine if you combine those two teams, they might win 40 games this year. Do you ever do you ever go through a Basketball Reference and read the nicknames on the player bio? I, I literally just did that with every Thunder player on this roster. Did you? Okay. And only like three of them had a nickname. And the best nickname, oh. I'm not even going to play for them. Trevor Ariza, uh, his basketball reference nickname, Switchblade, which is pretty badass. That is a badass nickname, and I've never heard that one time in my life. <laughs> I mean, that's this basketball reference. Right. You're not gonna, most of these nicknames are like, where the, like, who calls them that? Right. Uh, Kendrick Williams had a nickname, his, uh, his Kenny Hustle. <laughs> Yes. And uh, Al Horford's the Godfather, which is pretty cool. But uh, other than that, yeah, like nobody had nicknames. It was pretty disappointing. Yeah. Uh, Muscala, obviously, he's a moose. Uh, also, apparently, people call him Jaws with a Z. Never heard anybody call him that. Like, the, the, just an example of the basketball reference nicknames, because this cracks me up. Like, every time I pull up a player's bio to like look at a stat or something like that. Like I end up always getting caught with the nickname before I even look at what I'm actually trying to look for. But like Kobe Bryant, so they have li nicknames listed as Black Mamba, KB24, Vino. I've never one time in my entire life heard Kobe Bryant referred to as Vino. Showboat, Little Flying Warrior. Again, never one time in my entire life Heard anybody reference Kobe Bryant as Little Flying Warrior. And then the last one is The Eighth Man. You ever heard Kobe Bryant called The Eighth Man? No. I mean, is that a reference to him wearing number I, eight? I guess. I, don't... I guess. I don't know. It's hilarious. Yeah. Well, he's got more nicknames on basketball reference than Shaq does. That, well, there you go. And Shaq actually, like, legitimately has, like, ten nicknames. Okay, here's some uh, LeBron James nicknames. King James, obviously. LBJ, sure. Yep. Chosen One. Yeah, okay. that was a Sports Illustrated thing. Yeah. yeah. Bron Bron. The Little Emperor. The Akron Hammer and L Train. So anybody, L Train? You ever heard anybody call him L Train? I don't think I've ever heard L Train. And I, I heard the Akron Hammer. That was... The Little Emperor? The Little Emperor I've never heard as well. I no idea. Or, is basketball reference like calling his mom and being like, oh, what'd you call him when he was eight? Oh, uh, we called him the little, the little emperor. emperor. Yeah. So funny. Chris Paul, CP3, obviously. The point god. And the skate instructor. Who's called them that? It's like somebody tweeted it. And so they're like, <laughs> all right. It counts. Somebody call him that nickname. I wonder if they like just they went to Twitter and searched Chris Paul nickname and then like some like Joe in Montana was like, he should be called the skate instructor. Puts everybody right. on skates. So um, bad. Anyways, th that was a, a big rabbit hole, but I it, it's so funny. The basketball reference nicknames crack me up because 
Every Ooh. every guy like has a name that I've never heard of. Uh, Larry Bird, obviously Larry Legend and Larry Legend and the Hick from French Lick. Uh, one nickname they have on there, and I don't know that it aged very well. Uh, the Great White Hope. Okay, yeah, I I I've, I remember that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Kodak also another Larry Bird nickname. Kodak. Yeah, like the camera. Hmm. I I mean I I've never heard that so. I I just did a random player. You'll like this. Clay Thompson. Do you does Clay Thompson even have a nickname or that you're aware of? I don't think he's like I don't think he's uh he's too vanilla to have a nickname. He's too white bread to have a nickname. Okay, so they have three nicknames for Clay Thompson. And obviously he's part of the Splash Bros, but that's I mean that's not an individual nickname. So the first one they list for Clay Thompson, Big Smokey. <laughs> <laughs> the second one, Killa Clay. And the third one, the electrician. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. Where do these come from? Oh, it's so uh, great. I think I just pulled up Charles Barkley. He's got to be the leader in the clubhouse for most nicknames on basketball reference. Okay. Charles Barkley. Sir Charles. Yes. The round mound of rebound. Yes. Right. We've heard that. Yeah. The Chuckster. They yeah. still call him that. The Chuck Wagon. Uh, the Prince of Pizza. The Incredible Bulk. The Leaning Tower of Pizza. Bread Truck. And Boy Gorge. Love Boy Gorge. Boy, Boy Gorge, Gorge is, is good, that, uh, but I've never heard him re- references that ever. I've never heard of anything after the Chuckster. I have not heard of the, the, the Prince of Pizza. Uh, the Incredible Bulk, maybe, back in, like, when he was in Philadelphia. Maybe that was something that had caught on. Uh, the Leaning Tower of Pizza. Never heard of that. Bread tr- Like, these probably these had to be nicknames he called himself in an interview. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you watch any of uh, the NBA last night on TNT? Or, to that point, did you watch any of the post shows? Uh, I saw a clip of Charles asking KD a question <laughs> post-game, and KD just... <laughs> Giving a one-word answer and then just roasting Charles Barkley the rest of the night because Charles didn't know what to do after that. Like, literally, he, he asked, it was some awkward question, too. Like, the way that Barkley worded it, it was super awkward. It was so long, too. Yeah. And then Katie's like, yep. And then they both are, it's just like silence for a solid, I mean, what would you say, 10 to 15 seconds? Oh, yeah. Before they cut long. away and like, it, oh, my God, it was so funny. But the other funny thing, I don't know if you saw the, did you see the Paul George interview? No, I didn't see the Paul George one. So, Paul, you know, right after the the Clippers Lakers game, they're interviewing Paul George, and uh, you know, I think Shaq starts it with like, you, "You played a great game." You know, is this is this type of performance sustainable or something like that? And then Barkley like goes straight into the, uh, the preferential treatment stuff, like asking him the questions about that, and then. Then Charles and Kenny kind of get into some argument about James Harden getting preferential treatment while Paul George is still like on the headset, like just standing there waiting for the next question. And uh, man, it was it was really funny. Like it was it, that too was awkward and funny at the same time. But they they like jumped right into the whole like Clippers stuff from from last year and and all that. Good for them. Yeah, good for them for uh, calling PG out for getting preferential treatment and bitching the way that Doc Rivers used him in the offense. Yeah. But it was, I mean, it was funny though, because both guys they interviewed last night, like it was terrible. It was terrible. And like, I almost wondered like, are guys tired of, of talking to these dudes? 
Because uh, I think for a while it was know. like kind of cool to be on with like Chuck and Shaq and Kenny and EJ, but I, I almost wonder if players are getting fed up with the whole like shtick. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, if there's going to be two guys that, you know, I would assume a player is going to respect to be Shaq and, and Barkley, you know, Kenny, I mean, I, I don't know how players feel about Kenny Smith. Right. I mean, these like if you're a 22 year old, you know Kenny Smith from the show. You don't know anything about him from right, his playing right. days. But yeah, I don't know. I think the KD thing is the Barkley question was so long that Kevin Durant just probably quit listening halfway through, <laughs> and they just said, "Yeah, yeah." It was, well, it was it was like yeah. he said something like, "There were reports in the playoff or in the bubble that you could have played." So. I'm assuming that you've just been getting ready to play basketball or working on your game or it was, it was just a really odd question. Like, of course he's been working on his game. Like, yes, that's, I I don't know. It was, it was almost like Charles was going somewhere and then kind of forgot maybe like what he was asking. And then it ended up just being some sort of like, so you've been working on your game this whole time. Uh, That's probably pretty realistic. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's probably what happened is Charles thought he had a good question and it just forgot what it was halfway through his setup. Yeah. How good were the Nets last night? Whew. I mean, it, it helps that you're playing the Warriors. Yeah. I don't uh, dispute they, that. They, lit- they literally have nobody that could guard Kyrie or KD. Um, they look good. Uh, I, I, I think that... I, I think the rest of the roster is, is slept on because they've I, got good players around KD and completely Kyrie. Completely like, agree. Karis LeVert... Spencer Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, like those are good players. They brought uh, they brought Joe Harris back too, right? Yes. Yeah, Joe Harris is back. I didn't get to watch the game last night. I'll be honest with you, I was uh, Christmas shopping. As uh, oh, nice. You know, it's it's time to buy the presents. But uh, I was keeping up a little bit on Twitter. But yeah, they've got a really good team that's pretty well balanced. I think that the problem is going to be are Kyrie and Katie just going to go to ISO and not allow the rest of the team to impact the game the way that they can. And last night they didn't, yeah, because they just dominated the whole time. That you know it was game one, but Katie looked great. I mean, you would never guess that he had you know missed an entire season with a torn Achilles. Um, Kyrie too. As long as Kyrie's you know burning sage in the arenas before he plays, I mean they're gonna be a good team. And I, I the East is wide open. Like I don't, I just I can't like the, I think the Bucks are just until they do it. I can't view them as you know, an elite team that's going to make the to the finals because they yeah. can't. They has, they can't win in the playoffs yet. Yeah, they have to show me more versatility when they get to the postseason, for sure. Right. Yeah, you, you win 60 games all you want in the regular season, but you can't do anything in the playoffs, then I'm not going to consider you a true contender. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I think the Nets could easily make the finals in the, in the East if they, you know, last night is any indication and they stay healthy, but... They're going to be fun. Uh, why At this point, after what you saw last night, why the hell would you even want to bring James Harden in? I, I hated that trade. Like, if I was viewing that from the Nets' perspective, I hated that trade when we first heard about it because you're not lacking scoring anyway. Like, you don't need another scorer, and you certainly don't need another ball-dominant scorer when you already have Kyrie and KD. But, but you have so many complementary pieces already on the roster with Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie and Joe Harris, who's like a 50% three-point shooter. And, you know, you've got your your two bigs that you can interchange depending on matchups with DeAndre Jordan and Jared Allen. Like, 
That's a good roster. I They're my pick to win the East, and we'll do our picks in a second, but they're my pick to win the East. My, my only, I think, question about them is when you get to the postseason, like how good is their perimeter defense going to be? Because I think DeAndre Jordan and Jared Allen are both really good defensive anchors. And KD obviously has shown that he is an elite defender, but he was also an elite defender on a team where everybody was a good defender, and he didn't have to do more than just his job, right? Like, he had to he had to fill his role, and it, it showed that he was amazing on defense. But when you get into a situation where, I, I mean, is Spencer Dinwiddie a good defender? Kyrie Irving, obviously, is so. what he is. I, I don't think, like, anybody is talking about Kyrie's defensive abilities. Um, Joe Harris is, again, great shooter. I don't know how good of a defender he is. Karis LeVert, great scorer. I don't know how good of a defender he is. So I think defense in the postseason is my biggest issue with just being all in on them because they've got to be the best team offensively in the league because you cannot... You have two of the the elite shot makers in the NBA with Kyrie and KD. And and again, this is also assuming that they don't have any off-the-court issues. Um, But then the complementary pieces. Spencer Dinwiddie is a guy that can go get a basket off the dribble for you. Karis LeVert's one of the best just shot creators in the NBA. And Joe Harris is a guy that shoots the three as well as anybody in the league. Yeah, uh, and I think that's what's going to be interesting. And I hope that this is a matchup we get in the Eastern Conference Finals. The Bucks and the, the Nets match up so well just from the standpoint of they're the complete opposites of each other. Obviously, Giannis yeah. does. I mean, he's an amazing player, does everything. But the Bucks brought in Drew Holiday. And like they're such a defensive-minded team that is long and athletic. That if you give me give me Drew Holiday on Kyrie and Giannis on KD for seven games, that'd be amazing. And I like I don't I don't know who would win in that matchup. I think that that would I think that's a seven game series if both teams are healthy, or like at least have their star players healthy. Like that is a toss up, and I think you could throw the 76ers in there as kind of a a, a wild card team. They're always a wild card team, but you know if you get, I, I mean. I don't know if Terrence Ferguson or who I don't know who on the 76ers would match up against. I don't like Kyrie. the Sixers that, at all. Yeah, that's a tough matchup. But I think Ben Simmons could give you know KD a, a run for his money in a series. But outside of those three teams, there's nobody in the East that I really love. I I don't think that the Heat can. I think they're going to struggle to uh, to replicate what they did last year. But I mean, I agree with that. Yeah, but like when you look at their roster. They added Avery Bradley, right? So they added defense, which, again, regardless of whether the offensive chemistry carries over, um, I mean, when you have guys like Jimmy Butler and Avery Bradley on the perimeter, you're going to have a chance to beat anybody just because those two guys are a nightmare defensively. Um, I think Hero's going to be better this year. Duncan Robinson stretches the floor. Bam Adebayo, I think, is, is the key piece to it all. Like, if he's healthy... He's so versatile on both ends of the floor that, I mean, he's he's the piece. He's the piece that that either is going to make or break them. Uh, so, but the, in that scenario, though, I, I just the Heat seem like they match up well against one of the guys on the Nets. I just like, I I think the Bucks are the only team that have two elite level defenders that could legitimately slow down both guys. I mean, if you're Miami, well, I guess you could put Bam on on KD, but KD could just pull it from three 15 times in a game and just slaughter them. Um, 
and then who's I mean who's guarding Kyrie? I think that's I, I think that's just kind of why we're leading towards a, is Milwaukee and uh, Brooklyn finals. With, but with you know, with our luck, they'll probably meet in the second round. <laughs> yeah, probably be like a one-four matchup. I just don't. Two, the Bucks to me don't have really any depth at all unless they add something, which I, I anticipate they will at some point this year. But as we as we start the season. Uh, their starting five is what DJ Augustine, I guess, would be the starting point guard. Um, yeah, but you say, but I mean, I mean Giannis is going to have Gian, the ball yeah, a lot. It's yeah, and then you got Drew Holiday, who is is maybe the best perimeter defender in the NBA. Middleton, Giannis, and Brooke Lopez, like they're they're probably going to be the one seed, I would guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're going to win a ton of games. I just I, I think that that is that they're going to play lockdown defense in the postseason. But you've also, I mean, at some point you've you've got to score. And I, I still, especially when you take away Giannis just dominating the paint in the postseason and, and force them to, to be a little bit more uncomfortable offensively, and, and the fact that they don't have a ton of depth, like I still struggle to see where they make that jump when it comes to postseason play. I think a big concern, too, is they're not a young team. Like They've, they've got some age on their roster, which the experience portion of that helps, but it also adds that you know, you might be dealing with some a lot of injuries this year when yeah. you have a roster that's as, as old as they are. Like when you're talking about Brooke Lopez, who's going to be a key player, he's in his 30s. Joey Holiday's in his 30s. Chris Middleton's 29. I I would assume he's going to turn 30 at some point during the season. Like those are four, are three of your five most important players on your roster, and you're, they're all in their 30s. Yeah. So if they stay healthy, the experience pays off big time. But I mean, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of miles on this team that you know, could, could blow up in their face. Augustine was a 38% three-point shooter last year in Orlando. Like, I, he he could have a much better season than it than people are anticipating because he's just going to, I think, have some really good opportunities. Because, who I mean, who are you going to... You're not going to focus on DJ Augustine in, in that offense. So he, he's yeah. going to get some opportunities to make shots, and he's a decent shooter. So I just, you know, again, I, I think that... We've kind of seen the blueprint to beat them when when you get into the postseason, and with what they added and what they do, I I think that's still in play, and I just don't see how that changes drastically in a in a postseason series against a team that can match up with them, you know, from a talent perspective. Like I'm not saying they're going to be a first round exit, because obviously they're they're just extremely more talented than probably anybody they would face in the first round. But I think when you start putting them against the teams that I think are equally talented, like Miami, like Brooklyn. Uh, I don't know about Boston, um, but I, yeah, I think they're just, there are some tough matchups for them when you get a little further into the East. Yeah. I mean, Milwaukee is definitely like, I, I, they've got to be upset that they like that. If they would have pulled, brought in Bogdan Bogdanovich, like I think that makes their team significantly different, but I mean, obviously they couldn't resist the, urge to tamper and you know he went to Atlanta but like I mean he he would have been a huge piece for this team uh Boston I don't know Boston's not I don't think they're that good I think that they're really young they are unbelievably young but like outside of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown like Kemba's out for a while isn't he or is he out for the season I don't think he's out for the season I haven't heard like a timetable oh, or oh, anything. Oh, he's playing. Never mind. Is he playing? Okay. Uh, ESPN has him as active, but yeah, I mean, but he's 30. Like outside of those three guys, like you're going to need some young guys to step up and 
take a big step forward, like whoever, whether there's Taco Fall or uh, Robert Willie. Anyway, anyways, Boston. I don't think Boston's going to be a contender this year. I think they're just too young uh, to make a run in the finals. Uh, here's a report yesterday from the Celtics Twitter account. Uh, Kimba Walker, meanwhile, is not close to returning per Brad Stevens. Okay. So, okay, that's yeah. what I thought. I thought that I had heard yeah. that he had surgery or something. Well, I knew he was, was yeah, I knew there was an injury there. I just didn't know anything about a timeline. Well, there you go. Yeah, I, can't, I don't see Boston being contenders in the East. I think the East, the top, I think the top of the East is going to be significantly improved with KD coming back and, you know, Philadelphia and Milwaukee still being up there. Yeah. Do you like Atlanta at all? I like Atlanta to be better. I think that they're a top six team in the East. Um, yeah, yeah, obviously, like we just—I mentioned Bogdan Bogdanovich a second ago. Like he's—he's going to make them even better. Like they're, I. So I kind of compared the Hawks a couple of years ago whenever uh, Rob Palinka took over in Atlanta. That they were trying to just replicate what they he didn't go they didn't Golden State and I can I call them like the if the Warriors were the Legos of the NBA like the the Hawks are the like the the Mega Blocks are the whatever <laughs> are like the GoBots to the Transformers like yeah. they're the off brand yeah version of the of the Warriors so I think that they have a plan and they've built this roster the way that they want to build it like there's a lot of perimeter shooting. In uh, athleticism in the in the front court, that like they're gonna win games because they have a plan and they've constructed a good roster to fit their system. I just don't know that I, I don't I just don't know if they're quite there yet to be contenders in the East. But I like them. I like I think they're gonna be a lot of fun to watch. I think they're a top five, top six team. But I don't know if I'm quite there as them being elite yet. I'm not there with them being elite. I think they are a playoff team in the East. I think that, for me, they're probably one of the top five most intriguing teams in the NBA, though, coming into the season. Um, front court, you've got Capella, um, John Collins, and then the USC kid that they drafted at, what, like number seven or, or whatever, um, that obviously it's it's kind of nice to not have to just throw him into the fire. So um, we'll see how all that plays out. But they said got, Rob Polinka, by the way, Travis Schlink. Sorry, I just wanted to. I, Travis Schlink's your genius. Yeah, uh, and then you know, obviously Trey Young in the backcourt. But then when you look at at the other guys that really space the floor, I mean, Bogdan goes there. Danilo Gallinari is is a nice piece in that I think rotation of guys. Uh, Kevin Herter from uh, he was a rookie last year, right? From Maryland. He's yeah, a, he's a, yeah, yeah, he's a shooter. DeAndre Hunter, the rookie from Virginia last year, is is just kind of a, a versatile player that that gives you several dimensions. Um, you know, you have Rajon coming Cam off Reddish the bench, yet? Cam Reddish, a, another guy that I think has tremendous upside as far as just being a, a three and D type guy in the NBA. Like that roster is really interesting to me. Yeah, I think there are probably two or three years from being like legitimate finals contenders, assuming yeah. that. Trey Young, I mean, he he was really good. He was good his rookie year, and he was really good last year. Like, if he continues to trend up, then they're going to – the team is just going to go as far as Trey Young can carry them. But, yeah. like, I love what they put around him. Like you said, like, their roster is really interesting. I just I, – they're, they're a little young right now, which is why I say a couple years. And maybe, um, maybe you can bring in another superstar, whether that, you know, you move John Collins with somebody or however you work it out. 
bring in another elite guy to put with Trey Young, I, I think they're they could be legitimately good. Like I think they're gonna be good this year and a lot of fun, like we said, but yeah, I think they're a couple of years away from being true contenders. This is it just, just isn't a team that you feel like can play playoff basketball. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. And and look, we don't know again, talking about guys that are really good in the regular season and how they how they respond when you start scheming them game after game after game and taking away the things that they really like to do. Like, can you, can you take that next step when that happens? And for some guys, it's really easy. And for some guys, um, you, you just have no idea. Like, right. Like Jamal Murray, like just goes ballistic in the playoffs. And then you have guys like Russell Westbrook who, you know, when, when you do that, it, it just, the game takes a, a big step in the wrong direction. So I, you know, we don't, we have no idea, what Trey Young is going to look like in that scenario, but I, I love the pieces they put around him. Everybody's really young, and I think you're kind of waiting for a lot of these guys to maybe just find how they fit. Like a lot of this, I think, is just maybe the gel factor because you have so many pieces that you can you can play with on that team, and so many pieces that fit depending on on the situation that you want. Um, I think it's just going to be you know guys kind of embracing the role that they're given and taking that on. But that roster is is. Uh, versatile and you you I mean you you just you can do a lot with what they have brought in so I I think they're just they're gonna be really interesting to watch all year long they've got nine guys on their roster they're 23 or younger yeah crazy and tons of shooting yes yeah they are they're going to uh yeah yeah they're they're the next version of the Houston Rockets basically yeah. But I mean, again, like you have Capella at the center who played in that kind of style of offense, but John Collins is, I, I think, a guy that is slept on in the NBA. Like he's, I, I again, I'm curious. I'm always curious to see how guys kind of respond when they're not just a good player on a really bad team. And when, you know, obviously things elevate, is John Collins going to be close to the same guy that he's been, you know, the first couple years in the NBA? But on paper, again, based on, on what we've seen from these guys knowing the skill sets of their roster, that's uh, that's really intriguing to me. It's going to be a fun watch. Um, all right, give me your uh, give me your thought on like maybe the contenders in in both conferences. Uh, so in the West, I mean, obviously the two LA teams. I think. I, I was really high on the Jazz last year. I don't. I. I. I just the formula is not working in Utah. I think that that extension they gave to Gobert was absolutely stupid business uh, to give him that much money on a max deal. Um, I. I know Charles Barkley supposedly put a hundred grand on the Trailblazers making yeah. the finals, but that's the same formula, rinse and repeated. They're not going to do it. Like it's, they're not doing anything different than they've done the last five years. I think it's the two, I think I for me it's the two LA teams, Denver. If Jamal Murray is what he was in the playoffs, like if he can if he carries that over into this year, that gives them two legitimate All NBA caliber players, and I think that makes him an elite contender. And I want to throw Dallas in there just because I love Luca. Yeah. And if Kristaps is if if Porzingis comes back and he's he's close to what Porzingis was in New York, then I think that makes him a legitimate contender. I don't particularly love the roster around those two guys, but I right. think that Luke is so good and just really has no flaws in his offensive game that you could make a run in the playoffs with just Luca going crazy, much like Kawhi did 
right. uh, in Toronto. And then in the East, uh, I, I think it's the three teams in the East that we talked about. I think it's I think it's Milwaukee, Brooklyn, and Philadelphia. And again, the same thing with Philadelphia. It's the same right. recipe, rinse and repeat it, that right. I don't really think they're going to make it to the finals or win the finals. But I think that they've got to be up there as one of the like the contenders in the East. I'm not there with Philadelphia. I'm I'm on the other side of Philadelphia. So I would go in the East, Nets, Bucks, Heat, and my pick would be Nets over the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. So Nets in, in the NBA Finals for me from the East. The West, I'm with you. The two LA teams, I think, are, are right there. Uh, I, I actually agree with Chuck. I, I said in, in my other podcast last night, that uh, if if you're naming a team from the West that you had to pick that wasn't named the Lakers, for me it's Portland. You know, again, Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum in the backcourt. But when you have like again, they they just have wing versatility, which was missing last year when they ran into the Lakers. You get guys like Rodney Hood, uh, Robert Covington, um, Gary Trent is a guy that I I like uh, coming off the bench for them, and then. I think when you add a healthy Zach Collins back to the mix with Yusuf Nurkic and Ennis Cantor is, you know, if Ennis Cantor is your starting center, you're in trouble. But when you can play him based on on matchup, I mean, Ennis Cantor is a great guy to have coming off the bench. If, again, you can use him as a, as a uh, matchup piece instead of depending on him to be your everyday guy. So uh, I, I kind of like what they've put together. I, I would say Portland for me is probably... Uh, in in the three team mix in the West, so I would go, I would go Lakers, Portland, Clippers there, and Michael Porter Jr. to me is the piece that that has to take the big step for Denver to kind of get back into that that mix as well because I I just don't feel like they did as much as everybody else this off season. So um, I, I I think it's Lakers Nets and we get a finally get a. Uh, I say finally, we had we had this a couple years ago, but it kind of feels like it's more like Kevin Durant's team versus LeBron James' team, because that that was like that kind of felt like it was Steph Curry's team as opposed to the other way around. So I think we get a, right. a KD LeBron James NBA Finals where it's you know it's KD's team and it's LeBron's team. Yeah, and and, and again, I should you know we should note that like the Dallas thing, like Porzingis, it's assuming that he comes back right, in, right, you know, a reasonable time. And isn't, you know, just out for another year. But, I mean, he's been out for so long, you would assume that he's going to make it a return at some point during the season. Yeah. All right, MVP pick. Luca. Yeah, same. I mean, he's just... Giannis has won it two years in a row. You, you would assume he's gotten to the point where it the media is just going to move on from him and onto somebody yeah. else like they did with LeBron. Right. Unless he's just ungodly this season. Well, the thing about winning an MVP is like, I, I think, I think voters want to, first of all, spread the wealth. So I, I don't think Absolutely. people want to give a guy just MVP after MVP after MVP. I think we, and, and we kind of see that with how like narrative driven it is going into every year. Like, like even in the NFL, it kind of felt like Russell Wilson was that guy, like it was his turn going into the year, and there was a big push for him starting the year, and then when he played as well as he did to start the year, I think he was in that driver's seat for a long time until he started struggling. I think it's the same thing for Luka this year. When you talk about Giannis, like Giannis, I think, has to be considerably better, as unfair as this sounds, like Giannis has to be considerably better this year than he was last year, I think, to even get contention. 
and, and this applies to, to LeBron James as well. Like LeBron James hasn't won an MVP in how long? Because he like reached this level where he was the best player in the NBA and he was the MVP. But like, I think everybody's just waiting on him to, to surpass that level before they want to go back to LeBron James. So the fact that he's just kind of like remained, and this is crazy to say, remained at the same level he's been at. Like, I think people are just looking to give you, like they're waiting for, for LeBron to give them something different than he's given in the past to kind of like separate himself. And so I, I think if you're just, if you're doing what you've done every year, regardless of how great it is, it, you're just not going to get that, that recognition. If that makes sense. Right. Uh, no, it makes sense. Uh, I, I had this thought the other day and this is a whole different conversation. Um, and we can have this later, but I, I, I am starting to wonder if Patrick Mahomes is going to be the first football player to reach that status in the NFL. Yeah. Where like, he's just every year, he's undoubtedly the best player and it's just, we're giving it to somebody else, but right. that's a whole different conversation. He's just amazing. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I like Luca this year. I think that the media is, I, I think it's hit. I think it's his turn. Uh, if he stays healthy because he's just, he's amazing. He carries that team on his shoulders every night. Yeah. I would say if he struggles, uh, depending on what Damian Lillard does, maybe Damian Lillard kind of uh, gets into that conversation. Yeah. Maybe Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis still has is waiting his turn to win an MVP. Yeah, I I, I would be curious if if people could honestly give him that vote with LeBron James on his team, understanding that LeBron James is still kind of viewed as as even. The best player in the world. The better player. Yeah. Yeah. I think that might be hard for voters to do with Anthony Davis. But you're right. I mean, he should be one of the guys that would be on that list. So, uh, rookie of the year. I For me, it's it's a no-brainer, despite maybe my uh, cautiousness about how good he's going to be or or skepticism about how, how good he's really going to be in the NBA. LaMelo Ball is going to be ball-dominant on a really bad team. And, and if, if for no other reason opportunity is going to win him the rookie of the year. He's just going to have the ball in his hands so much that far, I think, beyond any other rookie in this class that he's the no-brainer. Uh, just to throw out another name, and I, I think that Anthony Edwards is probably the... It's between him and LaMelo for a lot, most people, between the rookie of the year. I'm going to throw out Obi Toppin. I was super okay. just because I loved him coming into the draft, and he plays on the Knicks, who are terrible, and... I, I think that while he's not gonna have the ball in his hands, I think he I think he could put up like pretty good numbers and be efficient. So I'll go with Obi Toppin. All right, fair enough. All right, give me the bottom three teams in the NBA. Bottom three teams, uh, Oklahoma City. Oh, off the uh, wow. Okay, All not right, even a thought. So not crazy. even a thought, huh? Uh, yeah, they. I mean, I, in my in my mind. I'm thinking through other teams. They've got to have one of the worst constructed rosters in the NBA. Like just as far as like winning now. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't see where, I don't see where the wins come from. Um, I think Orlando is going to be pretty terrible. And the Knicks, I want to throw San Antonio in there. I think San Antonio is going to be really bad, but pop is there still there. So I think pop probably keeps them out of the bottom three. Yeah, I'll go Thunder, Magic, and Knicks. Okay. To me, the Knicks were the no-brainer, like, right off the bat immediately. I think Detroit is going to be god-awful. Uh, yeah. Despite having Blake Griffin, that oh, that roster is 
is just disgusting. Um, uh, Cleveland is also a team that I feel like is is like in that conversation. Yeah, Cleveland's another just, team where I just I don't really understand what they're trying to do no, with their roster. Right. It's very weird. Um, and then yeah, I think I think in the West, I think I just mentioned three East teams, right? Cleveland, Detroit, yeah. and uh, and the Knicks, obviously. In the West, like I don't think the Thunder are as bad as the Knicks, for example. Like I think the Thunder are a better team than the Knicks. And if you gave me the choice of one roster or the other, I'd take the Thunder's roster. But the Knicks also play in the East, and when you look at who the right. Thunder are going to be playing all season long, like I think the Thunder are the bottom team in the Western Conference. Whereas I think they could probably think, be like I think they could probably finish like fourth from the bottom in the East. But yeah, I think in the West, and I. I think that's why I think the Thunder end up with the worst record in the NBA because of that. Okay. Because they play in the West, because they're going to play a heavier Western Conference schedule. Like, who in the West do you look at and say, even for like a a top tier team? So, like, say for like the Clippers, who in the what team in the West other than Oklahoma City do you look at and say, oh, the Clippers could easily beat that team every any night? I don't think there's any team in the West outside of Oklahoma City that you could look at and say the Clippers will have an easy night against that team. The any Kings? Night of the week. Maybe, but I mean, even they still have a couple of dudes that like, yeah, will make the night difficult. Yeah. The Warriors still have uh Steph and we'll see what, you know, Wiseman and Kelly Oubre and all those dudes can do. But like, I don't think the Warriors are necessarily going to be a pushover on most nights. I don't think they're going to be good. I think the Warriors right. are going to be one of the worst teams in the West, but I don't, I think that they're still too well coached. And they have step to just be a pushover every night. Memphis has jaw and like a bunch of young dudes that are good and gritty. Well, I shouldn't say gritty. I'm, let's move on from that. They're, they've got jaw. And some dudes that are good. <laughs> who, who, okay, so who would be your bottom? If you had to predict just regular season standings, who do you think finishes in the bottom three in the West? Oklahoma City for sure. Okay. Golden State. Golden State in the bottom three? I think so. I think their roster. I think they're just their roster is not good right okay. now. I think I think Steve Kerr and Steph are going to do everything they can do, and I think they're going to be a tough matchup. But if Steph's not like just lighting it up from the floor, like they've got no defense. Like I just don't. I don't see where the scoring or the defense is going to come from on that team. Um, man, this is tough. Like yeah. the West is tough. Like I think New Orleans is going to be a damn good team this year. Uh. I I guess I'll say Sacramento. It's between Sacramento, San Antonio, and Minnesota for me as the third worst team. Yeah. And Minnesota's got good players. I just, I don't trust them. I don't trust them to win games. Sacramento's got some good players, but again, I don't trust them to win games. And the Spurs, I think their roster's bad, but they've got a great coach. Well, and they've got a couple veterans that, you know, I, I mean, aren't necessarily anymore, right. but I mean, it's, it's not like those guys, you mentioned like the term pushovers, like they're not going to be a pushover for anybody. Right. Yeah. DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge, they're going to, and DeJounte Murray, like they're going to be competitive and right. like, you're going to have to try, you know, really bust your ass to beat them. But I just, I feel like there's gonna be a scenario where there's a lot of games that they just don't win, like close games that they just don't win at the end of the game. But I can't, I can't see them being one of the three wars. I think like, yeah, I go Sacramento, Golden State, and Oklahoma City. I don't but, think Luke Walton's a good coach by any means. The West is so interesting because I feel like if you're going like, even if you want to put them in tiers instead of like just ranking them, like 
the the let's just get, well you know what who we didn't even we didn't mention Houston, which I have no idea. Like Houston, I think especially they're if they trade read. James Harden, then they're in that conversation. But even with James Harden, you know I think it's just kind of a weird dynamic. I have no idea what to expect from the Rockets. I think I think either way they're probably a five hundred team for me. Okay. I. Because I could see, I could see them playing better basketball without James Harden. But you lose James Harden, you lose that elite superstar score. Right. So, either the team's better without him, or he just carries the team to a 500 record. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I no, just, he could he could I, do that I, on I, his own easily. Yeah, right. I think their ceilings about the same either way. And I think their floor is pretty high. Like, I I think they're. Lock them into a six to eight seed, regardless of whether or not they have James Harden for me. If they stay healthy, obviously, but that's I mean that's a caveat for every team. Uh, we have breaking news, by the way, involving James Harden from Tim McMahon. Huh? Okay, I'm ready. Okay, you ready? Him? All right. From Tim McMahon, source: Rockets are working with NBA office to review video of James Harden at a strip club. If the video circulating on social media is verified to be recent, it is a violation of the league's COVID protocols, which would put Harden's availability for tonight's opener in jeopardy. The what? The Rockets are working with the NBA to review this? Yes. So apparently the okay, Rockets and the, the NBA, NBA are Houston. reviewing a tape of James Harden at a strip club to decide whether he did or did not violate COVID protocols, which puts... <laughs> whether he plays tonight against the Thunder in Jeopardy. Did you see his uh, first press conference that he did after he, he showed up to Houston for the season and the reporter asked him why he went to Atlanta and Las Vegas instead of joining the team in Houston for training camp? And Harden was like, oh, I was working out. And the guy was like, in Vegas and Atlanta when the team has the entire yeah. team is in Houston for training camp? He's like, yeah, personal trainer. And everybody's like... Nobody in that room was buying that. You could, what, what two cities in the United States, when you think about strip clubs, are you thinking of? Probably Vegas and Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the, the mecca of strip clubs in this country. Nobody's buying that. James Harden's, uh, I, like, he's upset. I get why he's upset, I guess, to a sense, because they had their window and they just they couldn't execute and he got frustrated. Like, Maury left. Everybody left. Uh, and it all kind of went downhill when the team was sold. But either – just quit bitching, though. Like, this is not the year to bitch about having to go play basketball for the Houston Rockets and make millions of dollars. Like, right. It's just it, the timing of him being upset and throwing hissy fits and getting in fights with his teammates because he doesn't want to be a Rocket. Like, this just – it's it, it comes off way too way more selfish than it would in a normal year. And it's just not – it it doesn't look good, and Houston just needs to trade him. Like just just move on, just get rid of James Harden, and, and just move on from this whole de- debacle. Yeah, I, I to me that seems like like there are a couple guys in that locker room, like PJ and Boogie, that would not, in my opinion, handle a guy like acting that way very well. Right, and there <laughs> you know there was the report a couple of days ago from Shams that like Harden has gotten into some some tiffs with his teammates at practice and like threw a, threw a ball at one of the rookies yesterday yeah. during bringing a practice. And like somebody else, I don't know if it was Shams or somebody else, but they made a point that like, you know, this isn't completely out of the norm. If you, you know, have some high intensity practices for players to get testy with each other, 
but when in the, the entire time that you have known James Harden as a as a person, has he ever seemed like he cared about anything? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He he's such a he's he's a really interesting player right now because I think when you add all of the off the court stuff it really muddies the water because the guy is an MVP caliber player every year. The production is off the chart. At the same time, there are those that argue that the production is off the chart because the usage is off the chart and that hurts actually being a good team. And then you look at the the playoff struggles and then you add like the off the court stuff. Like, it's just like, what, what do you make of James Harden? What is his value? Uh, I don't know. Like I, I, there are teams I think that that would would be completely uh, unwilling to to make that move to bring him in. Well, I mean, we're seeing that. Like Philadelphia yeah. is not like if you're Houston. Like other than the other than like you know just the motivation to get James Harden out. Like what's the point? Like why would you bring bring Ben Simmons in and give Ben Simmons max money to like not be the player you need him to be? Like, what's the difference between John Wall and Ben Simmons other than a few inches? Not really, I mean, not much. John Wall's ben probably Ben Simmons a, just a gives you, I think, a, a score, lot more but, versatility um, other than the fact that he can't shoot, but... Right. He's younger, but... So, I mean, obviously there's benefits. I, I don't know. I just... Yeah, yeah. They're just gonna... The Rockets are just gonna have to take an L on a trade. Like, you're not gonna get something back for James Harden right now that's gonna match his value. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, it's no, going to have to take a loss. It never does. It right. never does. When you have a, a, a 30-plus-year-old superstar on a max contract, you're never going to get the the real value of, of what that guy's worth today because, you know, again, part of it is you're, you're worried about the back end of the contract, and, yeah, it's just it's, it's a tough position to be in. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like the Clippers might be in this situation with Paul George in a year or two. Like, it's going to be one of those. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. I think that, which makes it incredible that like Presty got the value that he got for Russell Westbrook. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, it's like it's the a, fact that he got a draft picks and Chris Paul. Yeah, well, and and that Chris Paul worked out. I mean, it could have if Chris Paul didn't sure, embrace yeah. the situation and you know wanted to torpedo the thing. I mean, I that's a huge credit to Chris Paul as well for the way he handled that year in Oklahoma City last year. But yeah. I, I, I mean, you could you could argue that the Rockets are the kings of like giving giving up equal value for a superstar. <laughs> I mean, they gave up like the entire core of the Clippers like team is from that Chris Paul trade. Yeah. Outside of Kawhi and Paul George, like the yeah. backbone of their team is from that Chris Paul trade. And then they sent Chris Paul and draft picks to Russell for a year. You, you know what? Yeah, I don't know. They just just move on. Like it's just a disaster. Like you're not gonna win a fight. You're not gonna win a championship either way. So just move on and reset a little bit. Yeah, I think that I think it's gonna happen. It's just a matter of like making the right deal. And and look, I think for them, they're they certainly want to try and maximize the opportunity to trade a former MVP. But yeah, at some point, I think it just gets to the point where like you have to understand his value isn't incredibly high right now. Um, it's it's a lot of money for a guy that obviously has all these off the court issues and even on the court like you know I go back to my original point like there if you take away the off the court stuff there are still some teams in the NBA that I think would struggle to bring him in again because of the usage and the fact that he needs the ball so much and just how that impacts the guys that maybe they already have on their roster so 
it's it's kind of a weird deal with James Harden for sure. I mean, it's it's in some ways similar to the Russell Westbrook conversation. Yeah, as far as the on the court you know. stuff, obviously, you know, he has another level as far as his offensive game and his ability to score. But I think with both guys, like, you know, part of the issue from a basketball standpoint is the the usage rate that that they require to be at the level they're they're at and how that impacts the other guys on your roster from being able to maximize their potential and and you know adding those two things together I don't think many GMs feel like that's a winning combination. Yeah. It, I mean, who yeah, I and mean, we could talk all day about this like who yeah. like the benefits of bringing James Harden are obvious because he's an elite level scorer, but like how many teams are willing to like take that risk at this point on a 30, a 30 year old James Harden? Probably none. Yeah. Cause he just, it messes up the whole flow of everything. Like, like if the nets didn't have KD or didn't have Kyrie, then it makes sense. But the way everything's structured, either he's either, it's a bad team where it completely screws up your rebuild and like you're the future of your team potentially, or you're a team that already has that James Harden role. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, before we start wrapping this up, did you see the Shaq in a fool last night on TNT? No, I didn't. Our, uh, our, our boy first round draft pick, uh, Pokachevsky made Shaq in a fool. He had like three bad plays. One was like, he was trapped on the sideline and I think he tried to do like some sort of like behind the back pass and it, it went out of bounds. And then there was like, he, he tried a, a little like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar hook in the uh, in the paint and just completely airballed it. Well, so he's I mean, he's officially Poku has has officially had his welcome to the NBA moment, making Shaqton a fool on TNT. Hey, well, you know what that that segment might be the most coverage the Thunder get all year is highlights on Shaqton a fool. All right, hey, you got to give me a pick for tonight, by the way. Thunder Rockets, your Rockets, maybe without James Harden against the OKC Thunder. Oh, it, Rockets. Okay. I mean, okay. I, I'm, I, John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins are healthy. For, this might be the only game all year they're healthy. And if James Harden plays, like James Harden's still going to go out there and he's going to he's gonna mope and bitch the whole time, but he's going to try and score his 30 points so he can get traded. Yeah, well, he might score yeah, 50, I think the Rockets actually. win easy. Right, yeah. I think the Rockets win pretty easy. Yeah. All they right. looked good in the preseason for what it's worth, but like I think that they're going to win easy. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Double digits. Uh, any any football thoughts you want to throw out as far as college football and, and what happened that you want to throw out before we go? Um, Got the playoff that everybody expected to get. Uh, some Ohio State fans in the college football committee needs to send Trey Sermon some fucking presents <laughs> after the season's over because, <laughs> my God, that dude went off in the Big Ten yeah. Championship game and saved them from yeah. losing to freaking Northwestern. Um. Yeah, I had that I think, game uh, on my on on one of the side screens on Saturday, and like as I'm watching OU Iowa State, every time I glanced over to that side screen, like Trey Sermon's just like trucking down the field. I I, I was for sure at one point that the guy was gonna have like 800 yards rushing. Yeah, I mean, he didn't play like all year either, did he? Like he had like 40 yards before that game, some like ridiculous small amount. He's, of he's not been their feature point. back all year. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Not that it, they mattered; he was still undefeated and made the playoffs, but. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think I think OU and Florida is going to be a fun matchup because and I and, and like there was a lot of people that watched the SEC championship game and were like, oh, I thought the SEC's played good defense. I thought they played good defense. And you you said it last week that like Florida's offense is so good that like they're going to put up points against Alabama. Yeah, but like, Alabama was still going to pretty much dominate that game, which is exactly how it played out. I know it got closer at the end, but like I never had any doubt that Alabama was winning that game. Right. So. I think if we could take OU's defense playing the way it is right now, and this will be the true test. Like, was this just another year where the Big 12 offenses aren't as good as we thought they were, and the OU defense just looked good in conference, and then they get out of conference and struggle against uh, a better team? Because Florida's got a good offense. They've got a good quarterback. They've got great right. weapons. So, like, this is, a, this is a good litmus test to see if that Alex Grinch defense is actually progressing or if we're just back where we were at the end of year, the year last year. Yeah, I mean, this would be, you know, for as much improvement as there was last year, to your point, I think we started this season with everybody being back at square one with Alex Grinch because even though there was improvement all year long, LSU just, you know, I, I think wiped Locker. all of that away. And yeah, I think it's, it, I don't think it's to the same degree because we've seen Oklahoma not just improve, but reach this level where where obviously like nobody even thought what they did this year defensively was obtainable. So even if they don't show sure. well in the bowl game, I don't think all of that is gone going into next year. But look, I, I would say the same thing about this matchup. I, I, I do believe Oklahoma has a good defense. I do believe that front four is really good. I think it's one of the best defensive lines in college football. If you think that OU is just going to shut down Florida, then you probably need to adjust the expectations because, again, Florida's a good football team. Florida's a good offense. And they have playmakers. They're going to score some points in this game. Like, it's, it's not going to be a situation where I think you set the expectation at, like, holding them to 17 or 20 points. Like I, I for you, where would you put, put the point total? Obviously understanding like in context, you know, not giving up like a defensive touchdown or not putting the defense in a, you know, a like you have a, a turnover on your own 15 yard line, something like that. But just the, the expectation, I think 30 points. I mean, somewhere around there, 31, 35. Like I, I, I don't think they that give, it means that Florida OU, scores. Yeah. If OU, like if, if, yeah. if Florida scores, 31 to 35 points. Like, I don't think to me that that says, oh, you had a bad performance. Like, I maybe maybe well, when you it, get past 40, then I'm like, ooh, you probably didn't play well. But Florida's going to score points in this game. They have too many good offensive players to not score points. Right, and we've reached a point in football where we should be aware that there's different ways to, like, grade out a defense in a game. Like, are they are they getting consistent pressure on the quarterback? Are they right, getting sacks? Right. Like, do they do they do they make any? Do they make some plays? Do they get some third down stops? Like, if at the end of the day, it, like if Florida scores like a fifty yard touchdown and then like a sixty yard touchdown or something like that, like you have to grade big plays, a game where they allow big plays, a little bit less harsh if they're playing well the other sixty snaps or seventy snaps, right. like you have to look at every snap individually and put them together. Like if Florida is just getting eight yards of play and just bullying them, that's a bad deep performance, it, it, but a agreed. couple of big plays, like it's not as big of a deal. And it's going to have, like they're going to hit some big plays in this game. Like I have no doubt, like they're, so, they're, good. they're good. They have yeah. good players. They have a good quarterback. This is the best quarterback they faced all year. You know, you get the ball to a guy like Kadarius Tony in, in space and he, he can make you pay. I, I, I do think that, Kyle Pitts is is dodging a huge bullet for Oklahoma because, you know, I think when you look at mismatches, for example, go back to what Charlie Kolar did 
against OU on Saturday, like the tight end position against an OU, OU just doesn't have the body to be able to to defend that matchup. And Kyle Pitts athletically is just on a different level than any tight end I think I've seen maybe going back to like Kellen Winslow uh, in college football. So Kyle Pitts would have, I think, had a monster day if he had been available. But on the other side, losing, you know, not having Trey Brown, I think is big for Oklahoma. So uh, maybe not as big, but it's certainly going to play a role. I think for me, it all it all starts and ends with, do we see the defensive line play even close to the same brand of football that we've seen for the last two months? If they do, then I think we all walk away from it regardless of what happens, saying, you know, things are, are going well. If they don't, then I think the narrative becomes, well, from a physicality standpoint on the defensive line, they did this certain thing for two months and then like couldn't come close to replicating it when they got outside of conference. And that, that to me would be the biggest black mark. I got two questions for you uh, real quick before I know, I know we're trying to wrap up. So I got two quick questions. One, uh, who the hell, like, what are we doing in the big 12 media that where you can't put Nick Benito on either all oh, big 12 defensive teams. Lord. Absurd. Yeah. Or Isaiah Tom, uh, two, like, to me, Isaiah Thomas right. was the guy that I thought, I mean, had an argument to be con- the defensive player of the year in the league. <laughs> right. And Ronnie Perkins is good, but like yeah. he missed half the season. Right. That one made which sense. Which just shows that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, second team, he missed half the season, but I'd give me one of the other two guys over Perkins if I'm having to pick from an OU defensive yeah. player. But um, also, look, Trey Brown opting out, like, you know what? I support these dudes like sitting out and like preserving their bodies to go make money to live, you know, build a life off of. But is his draft stock high enough that, you know, like he needs to sit out the bowl game? I, I don't know what his draft stock is. I, I look at a lot of like NFL big boards and stuff like that. And I've, I've never even seen him in like a second or third round type of position. So I don't know what I'm saying. Again, a game against Florida, it seems to be more beneficial for him to play. I would think, or if he wants to make some money or maybe, you know, on the flip side of that, it, it, uh, could hurt him. Yeah. yeah, I don't don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but if you can't have that mentality, like surely like I got to sit out because these dudes are about to torch me. Right. Like I'm, I'm going to get embarrassed. Uh, uh, one thing real quick too. Uh, because I, I want yeah, to bring yeah, this up no, earlier. We're, we're good. We're good. So you talked about, you looked at mock draft. I, it's Bleacher Report. So like, please, yeah, everybody take it with the biggest grain of salt. But Bleacher Report, gotta love them, I guess. They did. I looked at a mock draft on there. Any guesses where they had Justin Fields on the latest mock draft that came out either last night or this oh, morning? Oh, okay. I'll 12, something stupid. 11, yeah, 11. Okay. 11 to Detroit. What? <laughs> They had the kid from BYU going before Justin Fields. Zach Wilson, I think, is his name. Yeah. Which, yeah. fine, but he's been the consensus number two pick regardless for the past two months, probably all year. What do what we – he had one bad game in the Big Ten Championship game when they hadn't played in like a month. Yeah. And so we're going to drop him 10 spots. That's crazy. Have you ever heard – a big a guy that I'm a big fan of as far as breaking down quarterbacks uh, is Trent Dilfer. And I was I was listening to him on the uh, Rosillo podcast talking about the difference between Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. And he was like, when you really look at the tape, he's like, I think we all kind of just have elevated Trevor Lawrence to this level that like he's not even real like it like everybody thinks he just doesn't even have a flaw. And he talks about that like he's still a great quarterback, but these are the issues with him. 
And then he talks about the, like the gap between the two. And he's like, when you start breaking down the field, like Justin Fields basically does all the things that people say are the difference between Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. And he said, I think when we end up getting to the draft, like the, the person with the first pick is going to have to really make a decision between Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. And probably Trevor Lawrence is that guy. But he's like, I think that gap, when you start going through the process and NFL teams actually like comb through the tape, uh, I, I think that gap closes tremendously. So, yeah, I think it's still a, a Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, one and two scenario. Right. But Wait, in what scenario? In this scenario, they had the Jets taking, uh, I can't remember who it was, but they had them taking a, a tackle, an offensive tackle. And I'm like, why? God, it would be beautiful if the Jets doubled down on Sam Darnold. It would be, it would, like, it that would be, be spectacular. Yeah. Bring Adam Gase back for another yes. year. Just like, we got to give it one more shot. And meanwhile, Justin Fields drops to like, according to this guy, 11 and backs up math. I guess maybe they trade Matthew Stafford, but whatever. Justin Fields falls to wherever and is like freaking like Kyler Murray esque or like some like top level rookie quarterback. By the way, Jalen Hurts, I don't know what the hell has happened between the playoff game last year at OU and the December 2020, but he is. I'm not saying he, like he's a great quarterback, yeah. but he is so much better. Yeah. Between in the last, he's got so much better in the last 12 months. I was literally told this last night, and I think part of this is true. We are all, I think, extremely guilty of undervaluing Jalen Hurts simply because we watched Baker, we watched Kyler, and then Jalen Hurts yeah. wasn't on the same level. So I think, like, I, I, I absolutely agree that I'm guilty of this. I, Jalen Hurts is no, like I don't even think close to the same level as those two guys. So I think because of that, we like view him maybe worse than he actually is. Like he's he's not as good as those guys, but we view him. worse. I don't think so. But at the same, I don't think so. You don't think so? No, I think that I think that the media or the you know us that covered the team last year. I think we were pretty fair on Jalen Hurts. Like we never went on the radio or like and there was nobody writing newspapers that was respectable at least. Yeah, no, no. Like I, I mean, in terms of anything that was like in terms of projecting him they, to the NFL, I'm not talking about last year. Oh, like okay, in Norman. Yeah, yeah okay, no, sure. I, I we were all very fair with like understanding he wasn't okay, on that exactly. level, but he was a I mean, he was what Oklahoma needed last year. They don't get to the point they got last year without Jalen Hurts. I'm talking about like just projecting him uh, to the NFL and how he's going to perform at the next level. I, I think I'm I'm somewhat guilty of that at times. At the same time, I also think that there are a lot of quarterbacks that we see like get into the NFL and maybe are a little bit different and have a little bit of success. And then when teams kind of get enough film on them to start making the adjustments and taking away the things that are going to make that guy struggle, then they, they have a hard time adapting to that. So Jalen Hurts isn't to that point yet. He's not played enough football to get to that point yet. Um, you know, maybe, maybe he will make that adjustment and be really good, or maybe, you know, it never even comes to that, but, I'm still very cautious in terms of like me saying he's he's going to be an NFL starting quarterback. He's he's having a ton of success right now and he's playing really well right now and I'm not taking that away from him. I didn't even think that he was going to play this well, but I'm still, you know, like look at L Lamar Jackson's a good example of this, right? Like Lamar Jackson was an MVP last year and teams are and and look, the Ravens personnel has some to do with this, but teams are making adjustments to Lamar Jackson and he's not nearly as dominant this year as he was a year ago because teams have kind of learned like what he does well 
They've learned like kind of what he doesn't do well and to try and force him into those situations. And he's not really, I think, come out on the other side of that being the same guy. I think the same is going to be true of Jalen Hurts. Like he's, he's still, I think, he could be a starting caliber NFL quarterback. I just don't know that he's a guy that we any of us view as like a difference maker for a, a playoff team or something. I think the I think the biggest thing working against Jalen right now and his situation, and I this is just my my you know instinct and inclination and like kind of all that stuff. I get the feeling that Doug Peterson is looking for any like just just waiting for Jalen to struggle in a game so he can go back to Carson Wentz. Not that he thinks that Carson Wentz is better, but having Carson Wentz on the bench just complicates everything in Philadelphia and. I, I mean, he, I mean, Jalen Hurts was amazing against Arizona on Sunday. Yeah. And Peterson went into the press conference and was like, I don't know who the starting quarterback's going to be. Yeah. Dude, the dude just threw 300 yards and four touchdowns. Right. And you're going to go back to Carson Wentz, who has been one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL this year. Like, right. If it's you're not for sure at this point that Jalen's starting the next game, you're looking for an excuse to get Carson back in. Yeah. And he's just haven't, Jalen has not provided that excuse yet. Or you're you're just saying that so that you don't have Carson Wentz throwing a fit all week, like yeah. knowing that he's not the guy, as opposed to like maybe like he's already throwing a fit though. Well, I know, but it, it probably limits it, and and maybe it gets him back in line when you say, I don't know who the starter's going to be. It depends on your performance, and and if you know he shuts up and works hard, then you know you get another week where you don't have issues, as opposed to like, wow, wow, I'm not the starter. <laughs> Yeah. I'm making just, a boatload uh, of money to not play football. It, it And it makes Philadelphia's situation significantly worse if Carson Wentz isn't on the team because they're going to owe him so much money. Which I absolutely love. Right. They just need him to be good. Congratulations on the uh, absolute embarrassment of the... Uh, who the hell did they play? They destroyed him. Who the Cowboys San play? San Francisco. San Francisco, right. Yeah. Ooh. Ah, uh, man, I, I was going to ask you this about the other day, but we can save it for uh, for next week. But uh, I was uh, going to ask you if you would trade Zeke. For the right deal, yeah. I love Zeke, okay. too, by the way. Like, for those that don't know, like, I'm obviously I'm a, I'm a big Dallas Cowboy fan, but I, I'm a big Zeke fan. I He's had a bad year, but I still think Zeke is one of the elite running backs in the NFL. Um, it's, you know, everybody in Dallas, the, the whole thing has just been a dumpster fire, but... Absolutely. I, at that position, uh, for sure. Yeah. He yeah. just doesn't feel, uh, and again, it's a bad year. He just, I feel like he's lost some of that versatility that he had for this first couple of years. And, you know, I mean, it, is, it could just be his body breaking down or whatever it might be. But, I mean, when Tony Pollard was in there Sunday, they, the offense looked like it flowed so much better. Well, I th- Tony Pollard, I think, fits that offense with that offensive line a little better. Because you're not just running him between the tackles. Like Zeke, you know, I, I, Tony Pollard's a, a more of a space running back. And with that offensive well, yeah, line, back, they're not, they're not just, they're not be, they're not running as heavy as they would with their normal setup. So yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think maybe with, with the current personnel, I don't think it's crazy to say that Tony Pollard may fit that a little bit better just because he's twitchy yeah. and you know, like that kind of guy. But uh, I mean, if you give me the option, if if everybody's healthy and we go into next year, obviously, like, Lyle Collins is there and, and Zach Martin and Tyron Smith, like, give me Zeke Elliott all day. Like, not even not even, not even a, a conversation. Yeah, I think his ceiling's definitely higher, but, yeah. 
no, no, it's just an interesting. I just had that thought the other yeah. day watching Tony like play pretty well. No, he's against, he's I mean, he's good, and so. I like. I guess a good example of this is like Tony Pollard's to me like a, a like third down type back, and yeah, with the Dallas Cowboys offensive line being as bad as it is. Like you're basically playing third down type football all the time because there's not really the realistic expectation that you're just going to line up and run between the tackles on first and second down the way you traditionally would. So yeah, I think it makes more sense and it just it makes teams have to kind of respect uh, what you do sideline to sideline more because they already know that you're not good on the offensive line. So yeah, I think it okay it makes more sense. Let me, okay, I'll, I'll, I know I said this a minute ago. <laughs> easiest question for you. Easiest question for you uh, of the day. Maybe potentially easiest. Would you trade if the only way that they could make it work? Would you trade Zeke for like a second and a third round pick, or like two thirds, or whatever? You're getting it. You're getting some combination of middle of the round pick, middle round picks to sign, resign Dak long term. Okay, so you're saying I can't resign Dak without trading without like they trading need Zeke? To trade Zeke to clear the cap. In, okay, in, in this scenario, in this if scenario. I, I get a mid-second, a mid-third, and I get to re-sign Z- Dak. Dak. Otherwise, I keep Zeke, and I lose and, Dak. And Dak opts to go somewhere else for more money. Um, and, and I don't have one of the top two picks in this draft to get Lawrence or Fields. Yes, I would trade Zeke in that scenario. Okay. Yeah. I think that's the right move because, I mean, just the shelf life, uh, shelf life of a running back. Zeke's, the way he runs, he's got to be on the downhill side of his career as far as just the lifespan. So, well, yeah, I mean, you, I, think that I mean, too. it's reasonable to think Dak Prescott's still a, a I mean, a everyday guy Top 10 years from now. Yeah. And, and at the most important position in the sport versus maybe the most undervalued position in the sport for that doesn't have a, a long shelf life. So yeah, that's, that to me is a no brainer. If, if that becomes okay. the scenario. And again, this is, this is coming from somebody that is a massive Zeke fan. Like I'm, I love Zeke, but yeah. Yeah. Well, you enjoy watching him run the football in. Uh, I mean, the Jets have a history of taking on. Uh, it does. He does fit the mold of the Jets bringing him in and paying him a hundred million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, we just. Need, I mean, I found myself against San Francisco. Like you know, I grew up in that that Forty ers Cowboys like '90s era where every year it was like Forty ers or Cowboys. So like. Even though I'm on the tank train and want them to lose every week, like I did find myself on Sunday against San Francisco, like, come on, pull it out. Like, beat the 49 well, just the, for nostalgic reasons, I guess. Well, at this point, like, they have no shot of getting in the top three picks. Yeah, the they kind of ruined field. that. Any, yeah. So, yeah, so why not just, like, as long as they don't win the division, yeah, just have them ride out a couple of wins in the year and, you know, go, go into next season off of some positive notes. I could really use which, a, a might, solid Jalen Hurts performance this weekend. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Dallas I'd like to finish. Be- yeah. I want to finish below Philly. I would, I would prefer to have a better draft pick than Philadelphia. Yeah. And Mike winning out definitely helps Mike McCarthy's argument to come back next season, which right. I don't think is the best, best thing for Dallas. So no. no, yeah, probably best to lose out. No doubt. All right, my friend, uh, you, uh, so you're just staying home for the holidays. Uh, I'm going to Austin on Friday. But oh, okay. We're doing, yeah, we're doing Christmas stuff with Rosie's uh, family tomorrow, and then Friday morning we drive down to Austin and nice. help my family. So, yeah, you, 
you uh you going to going to old West Texas? No, no, we're staying here. Oh. My dad um my dad had some pretty significant health issues recently, so he just had like a major surgery. So it's kind of one of those deals where he's still in recovery mode anyway. Gotcha. And uh, yeah, so they're they're just uh. They're going to be chilling at the house by themselves. Bunkering My down. dad's recovering and all that good stuff. So yeah, we, we are, we are here. We are not going anywhere. There you go. Well, hope you have a fun Christmas. Hope you get all the presents you want. I, I'll settle for uh, a Cowboys loss to Philadelphia. And then, uh, no, no, I think you be, might get it. No, it, like you get to this point, Aaron, and it just, it simply becomes about like the excitement level of the little man, like getting the gifts that he wants. So well, I hope you got him all the gifts that he wants. Yes, yes. I, I think I have secured everything that will uh, make him happy on Christmas morning. And there won't be, like, everybody has that gift, you know, that, like, you wanted really bad that your parents didn't get you when you were growing up. Like, at least right. at this point, we're going to avoid that at the age of four. He's not going to be, 15 years from now, he's not going to be talking about the 2020 Christmas as the year that he didn't get, you know, that one thing that he really wanted. So that's probably coming in the future years. There's going to be a point where he's like six or seven years old and he wants something that we're like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. And then he's really well, upset the about older it. The, right. The older they get, the more expensive the things they want. Exactly. Get, so. yeah. 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 So I, he like hot wheels, you know, those things are like a dollar a piece. Uh, the little, like the, like monster trucks, um, monster jam, monster trucks, those things are like four bucks. So yeah, it's, it's not too difficult still i remember those days of uh when like i got like 30 things that i loved at christmas and like i you know you're a kid you have a concept of money but like looking back i'm like i they probably spent like a hundred bucks on all this stuff yeah like 150 bucks on all this stuff and like i was stoked yeah and then like there's a point where like i'm a teenager and i'm like i don't want this this is stupid right like into my my teenage years i remember like you know, you make that shift from like wanting a bunch of presents to like just wanting one big one or something. to wanting one big one. And like, there was always the, I think my, my, my like stepmom and dad always wanted us to open a lot of presents. They wanted to get us a lot of presents. So we would be like, you know, I want a PlayStation for example. And they'd be like, but if we get you a PlayStation, that's the only thing you get. And it's like, well, yeah, that's all I want. That's, that's all I want though. I don't, I don't want to open 10 things that I don't want. I want to open one thing that I do want. And like, that was a, that was a thing for a long time. They had a they had a real hard time like shifting from buying a bunch of stuff and what because it's like as a parent I can say this it's fun to watch your kid open up a bunch of presents like the, right. just the joy that they have over you know tearing open the paper and like sometimes playing with the box more than the toy like it's a it's a it's a good feeling but yeah at some point you kind of cross that threshold and uh, my parents had a hard time adjusting to that. I remember one time <laughs> I was in uh, I was like ten. And uh, I opened up a present. It was like a PlayStation 2 memory card. And I started crying, like legitimately crying. I was like, I can't use this. I don't have a PlayStation 2. <laughs> I was uh, like, I was so. You like didn't put hour. two and two together? No. Uh, I was like, I, but they didn't give me the, like, I didn't get the PlayStation 2 box, like present. It's yeah. like another three hours. So they just let me be sad for like three hours. Oh my God. That's amazing. Memory card. And they're like, oh yeah, there's one over there. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> and then I opened it and I was like, I remember being like excited, but also a little mad at them that they would do that to me. Three hours. They let you stew it on that for three hours. Time. It was a while. Like we had, everybody was done opening Christmas presents and we had thrown away all the paper 
and oh, like oh wow or like sitting on the couch like eating some like snacks at this point and they're like oh yeah i was grateful but like god was that's amazing like, you sons of bitches your parents are, are awesome i you know what i have a whole new level of respect yeah, for your parents a, after that move that's big time obviously Obviously, it stuck around to my memory. So I uh, I told this story last night on, on the other podcast, but I'll tell it again because it's so funny to me. Have you ever seen the videos of parents that like wrap random things around their house? Like there's a bunch of them on YouTube. They, they just like find random things around the house, wrap them, put them under the Christmas tree, and then their kids open them and they like they just get video reaction of like the kid opening like a carrot or, just you know, just like random things that are in the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. So my, my brother-in-law did this for my nephew like five years ago. He just put a doorknob in a box, wrapped it. And so like on Christmas morning, they wake him up. They're doing the, the phone video. He's like sitting, you know, next to the tree in his pajamas still like half awake. You know, he's not even fully awake yet. And they give him the first present and he opens it up and he just looks at it. And he's like, a doorknob? And they're like, yeah, don't you love it? And he like, it's the funniest thing because you can tell he's like fighting the tears but he does, but like, he's also like a really sweet kid. And so I probably would have thrown it and said like, what the hell are you doing? Like, I don't want a doorknob. Right. Yeah. But he's like a really sweet kid. So he's like fighting the tears that like, this was his present. And he's like, thank you. And like trying to be nice about it. And it's, it's so funny. It like cracks me up every year to just think about like uh, how awful. he's trying to put on a good face despite getting this God awful present. I don't know if I would have been on, put on a good face. No, I would have, I would have like, no the hell yeah also i don't know if i've ever actually just said this out loud to to like you know anybody else but i am i'm a really bad gift opener because like when people are looking at you i always just feel awkward because like whether i like the present or dislike the present like that's irrelevant like my my i'm always just awkward at the end so like i feel like yeah. people are always looking at you like you want that like you're supposed to like be like, oh, wow, that's amazing. And so like the person that, that buys you the present always is kind of like has this anticipation to see how you react. And I just, I feel so awkward in that situation. I, I don't like it. I'm a bad gift opener because I always just like, like I never give like a, like over the top type of like, wow, type of reaction. Well, I think that, you know what? That's on them. Yeah. If people expect you to react like that and get upset if you don't, that's on them. Because what adult, like, okay, 99% of adults are super appreciative of, like, getting gifts from other people and, like, the gifts. But right. nobody wants the gifts that they get. It's all, it's all, like, you're an adult. You can get what you, like, generally you could just buy, if you want something, you could just buy it. Yeah. Like, you're not a kid who is, like, at the mercy of your parents <laughs> to get things right. that you want. Right. So like you're most of the time, it's just going to be crap that you don't want, but yeah. you're very appreciative of getting it. Right. So like, just like, just don't like let yeah. them open the present and just look at it and be like, Oh, that's cool. And then set it down. And then you're like, they might look at it when they get home or they might put it in a closet and regift it. Like, also, I'm, I'm fully aware that that could be my own hangup and maybe people don't expect me to react when they're looking at me, but I always, <laughs> hey, hey, I feel the same way though. I get very self-conscious. Yes. When I'm presents. very self-conscious about opening presents because I always feel like there's an expectation from the people that, that got me the gift watching me open it for me to have like a big reaction to what the present is. So like, I don't know. I always, I, I just, it, it's cringy to me and I just, I open it and I'm like, Oh, thank you. Like, and, and that's just what it is. Like, it's not a, 
I'm just not an over-the-top type of person unless you were to get me, like, a Porsche or something. Like, right. obviously, I'm going to probably, like, go nuts and do cartwheels, but, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I, I always try and open my presents. Like, if somebody hands me something, I wait until everybody else is opening their own yes, present, and then yes. I like, open it as fast as I can, yep. and then set it down, and they're like, oh, do you like that? I'm like, oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. But meanwhile, while I'm opening it, I'm like, what the hell is this? Right. I don't even know what this is. What am I going to do with this? Yeah. I, I mean, in, in all gift exchanges, I would almost just prefer, like, exchanging the gifts and then just be like, you know what? Just open it when you have some time. Like, yeah. Just open it when you get home. Yeah. We don't. Yeah. Save it for later. It'll give you something, give you something to do a little bit later. Take one for the road. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's, uh, oh, God, I'm already having anxiety. Same. I'm opening I'm presents now. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody listening to this. I want you to think about this Friday morning when, when your family members hand you a gift. I want you to think about this. Everybody else might as well suffer the, from the same gift opening reaction anxiety as I do. Before This year, before I even open the present, I'm just going to be like, I appreciate this so much. Yeah. And just like, wow, it's a present. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. We need to... I, maybe we just need to like have people like tweet us the best way to handle the situation. Like has anybody out there figured out a better way to handle that? Like tips on. Yeah. See, I, Cause this, I, I, this is why, it, this is why it's good to have little kids because everybody's just going to watch the kid open his presents yeah. and he's going to be stoked. Yeah. Or in my case, he's going to cry for like two hours, but right. Like he's going to draw all the attention and then you just sneakily open your presents behind the, everybody's back. Yeah. Well, see, that's the tough part for me right is now. because I want to watch my kid open the present because that's like the fun part it, for me is right. seeing him. He's going to yeah. have all his open and then you're going to go shifts. and everybody's going to yep. watch you. Ugh. Yeah. God, yeah. it's terrible. Terrible. Lots of lots of eggnog, I guess, that morning. <laughs> there you Just go. get a little extra holiday cheer. All right, my friend. Always fun. Uh, Merry Christmas to uh, you and Rosie and the family and have safe travels, man. All right, you too, man. Thank you. Aaron Davis joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast. That is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. You can check out their line of natural medicine products on the website, abotanicalcompany.com or give them a call 405-458-9699. Um, they, they do great things for the community and they're great people. And if you have any questions at all, don't hesitate to ask. Uh, like I said, give them a call and, and let them educate you on what they have and how it can benefit your daily life. You can also use the discount code Colby Show, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, Colby Show, uh, when you check out online, abotanicalcompany.com to get 15% off your online order. So very cool that we're able to save you a little money this holiday season. Not to mention... Going on right now through the holidays, the Artisan Holiday Drive. It's not too late if you're looking for a way to give back this holiday season. If you have the means to give back and, and you want to help those in need this holiday season, uh, the, the Artisan Botanicals with the Artisan Holiday Drive is currently accepting coats, clothes, toys, blankets, and non-perishable food items, or, or anything Christmas-related for that matter, at 2601 South Douglas Boulevard, Suite 170, in Midwest City. Again, that's 2601 South Douglas Boulevard, Suite 170 in Midwest City. I, I, I love that uh, that they are doing that to help those in need. Like I said, great people doing great things for the community. And if, if you are looking for a way to help out, uh, that would certainly be appreciated. Artisan Botanicals, Holiday Drive, 2601 South Douglas Boulevard, Suite 170 in Midwest City. 
All right, Christmas Eve tomorrow. We're a couple days away from the big day. Um, I hope everybody is having a great week. I hope everybody has a great day. Stay safe, and I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Podcast is over.